All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It only Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 162 this week, as we're going to dive into the NHL draft because it's just me here. 
just me, Chris Faber, here to talk some Canucks, and I brought some friends along the way. But first of all, Canucks Conversation is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to head to ZephyrEpic.com right now. The Series 2 tins are in, so get them. There's a limited quantity available, so get there quick. And be sure to use our promo code as well. Promo code is Hockey Season, all one word, capital H, capital S. That's Hockey Season at Zephyr Epic. $5 off your order and free shipping on orders over $50. So let's get to our guests this week. A lot of great guests. And we talk a lot of NHL draft in this one. We're first joined by Craig Button to break down the U18s and get his opinion on some of the top draft picks and, and where they kind of fall in his rankings. Because as we know with Craig Button, his are a little bit different than a lot of the regular lists that we'll see out there. So we start our conversation with Craig. We'll follow that up with a conversation with Dylan Griffin. He's going to join us to talk about Russian prospects. We dive into Pod Colson and talk about some potential Russian prospects that could be available in the first and later rounds for the Vancouver Canucks to select after that we are joined by returning guest of the show Cam Robinson who breaks down everything basically we go through the top 10 picks of the draft he breaks down each player and sees who's a good fit with the Vancouver Canucks moving forward and to round out the trip we have our fourth guest as well her first time on a podcast and did she ever blow me away with her knowledge of Swedish prospects Alexa Potak is going to join us here and she's going to round out the group to break down Swedish prospects for the NHL draft upcoming for the 2021 draft and she also tells us about Niels Huglander as well since she has watched him for the past couple years so why don't we get right to the conversations now and as I mentioned we're going to lead off with TSN's director of scouting Craig J. Button. Alright guys, joining us now from TSN and fresh off of the U18s, you know him on Twitter at CraigJButton, you know him on TV as just Craig Button. Craig, how you doing today? I am really good, Chris. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing awesome, man. Like I was telling you, a beautiful West Coast day here in Vancouver. Uh, and we're excited because I think we're at that point of the season for Canucks fans where everyone starts to turn to the draft. And I'm sure that you get a flood more followers when the drafts start to follow around. And, and we're excited to chat with you because you're fresh off of the U18s as well. And it's such an interesting draft class, and I want to kind of dive into it with you. But let's start with the U18s because you're fresh off of that. Just your biggest riser, maybe, from that U18 tournament. It's it's hard because we're not going to talk about Connor Bedard or, or Mitch Kov or, or any of those guys this year. But for a guy that's going into this strange draft for the 2021 draft, who is the biggest riser, do you think, from the tournament? Well, I mean, like, so, so I, I, you know, the answer, the general answer might be everybody. Because you want to know something? When you're looking at 13, 14 months in between uh, in a very intermittent evaluation process where you haven't been able to assess players on a regular interval, you know, from last March and where they're at into the summer, into the fall, into the spring, no, nobody's had that opportunity. So what you're really trying to do is, is you're trying to take the information that you've had previously and then try to see where players are at, not only individually, but vis-a-vis other players. You know, I'll give you an example. In November and February of every year, they have a Five Nations tournament. Mm-hmm. And USA, Sweden, Finland, Russia, and Czech Republic all go play all the draft out. So everybody gets to play against one another. So you can see, okay player is improving and this player's improved a lot this player may not have improved as much as you thought so that's where you start to get a gauge on the draft and that's where you get to get a gauge on the different nobody had it. the players didn't even have it yeah they never they never had a chance to evaluate themselves and test themselves against their peers until you got to this until you got to this tournament and so now, you know, it's great. So you've watched Owen Power. And what you're doing, Chris, is you're evaluating players now on 
really, okay, what are their attributes? Okay, you know, what translates? What's a strength? What's developmental? You know, what could be a problem for their ability to, you know, be the same level of player at the NHL level? What, what, what level is that? Uh, you know, you're trying to find, you know, a range. Okay, a player could be, you know, he, he could be, uh, you know, a, a number three defenseman. But he might be a number two, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, and, and so without those, without the benefit of, of, of all those observations, what I call data points, it's really hard. So, and, and then you, you start to do a ranking list and you start to say, well, who's improved? Well, basically, I look at it and go, geez, all, a lot of these kids have improved. But what they gave you was, is a gauge, a gauge of, of, of where they sit vis-a-vis each other. I mean, I, I think Benjamin Goudreau is a really good goaltending prospect last March. I looked and I've watched him since he was in Midget. I watched him in Sarnia. I watched him at the U-17. I didn't have any benefit of watching him for 13 and a half months. Yeah. None. But I had a really good, what I feel, a really good solid base of knowledge and information on him up to March of 2020. And I look and I go, okay, here's the things that I liked about him. Here's the things that I thought he wanted to develop. These are the things you're going to continue to watch. And you put check marks beside them. He approved. Okay, a little bit more work. Oh, yeah, I've seen real progress there. So now you go into a tournament and he hasn't played. And so all I can do is, is I can't do anything about the 13 or 13 and a half months. But what I can do is, is use my previous information and say, he's really improved. He's really taken some of the things that I thought that, you know, he needed to develop and that I thought he could develop, he has developed. So all of a sudden now you start to have a little bit more confidence in saying, I think this player fits into, in, in terms of projection, this part of projection, a real good player vis-a-vis uh, his, his, other, his other class of players. You know, Carson Lambos, I, I think he's a really good player, okay? Now, he didn't get a chance to play at the U18. Cole Sillinger didn't get a chance to play at the U18. So, you know, did they fall? Did they rise? Uh, I don't know. I know for me, I have a really good sense of what Carson's game is and what his potential is. I have a really good sense of what Cole's game is and, 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 and where he needs to develop. But just because they didn't play there doesn't mean I can't feel comfortable. Where I got comfortable was on a lot of players that – Gave me an opportunity to watch more and, and that best on best. Right. Like Dan, Dan, Daniel Chaika, I've watched for a long time. I, I, I'm really confident about what he can be. Of course, the Goulmans, I needed to see more. And watching him more helped me feel more comfortable with the projection. Zachary LaHaroux wasn't there. I think Zachary LaHaroux is a real good player. But that's just my assessments. you know. But it, it, what's interesting is the players that I thought were top players – they still are the players that I think are top players. Yeah, that's what that's what I like. You know, I'll be straightforward with you. There's going to be a Jack Quinn or two or three from this year's draft. A player that did not have the opportunity to show really that market improvement over time and and became the eighth overall pick. There's going to be a few Jack Quins in this draft hmm. that aren't going to be picked eighth overall. <laughs> and and guess what? Everybody has not had the opportunity to assess who that is. Right. I'd like to I'd have my own opinions on who it might be, and everybody's going to have their opinions. But there will not be a Matt Quinn drafted eighth overall this year. Hmm. The guys that I find super interesting, and it's, you know, you know, even like a year or two ago, we were all talking about Atu Rati being the potential first overall pick. 
I'm wondering, is some team going to maybe get a steal with him with how late he's projected in a lot of drafts now? Okay, so when you say a steal, define a steal. I guess what, what a lot of people expected a year ago, it's definitely changed, but I'm wondering if that expectation from maybe 2019 and early 2020, if he lives up to some of those ideas of potentially being a guy who's going to help your team when you can maybe get him as, you know, some people have him ranked, you know, in their top 50, kind of late in that round, in the second round. Like, I feel like a player that had so much skill and so much promise at 16, 17, there's got to be skill there for a reason. And now to see that he's not in a lot of people's top 30s, like, would he potentially be able to be a player who can jump into a top six and contribute offensively? Well, I don't know, but the scouting process is not static. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ready to change your mind, based on when a player was 16 or 17 or 18, you're going to make, make big mistakes. Because if it was as simple as every player that was good at 17 now that maybe hasn't improved, the other thing you have to allow for, Chris, is that other players may have shown greater improvement and shown more potential. Not that Atu Raddy's potential isn't good or wasn't accurate at the time, but now you have the benefit of watching other players. And, and keep in mind, Atu Raddy was watched lots this year. Oh yeah, like he—he's not a player that was off the. So now you're looking at 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 three years. You're looking at three years of data points on Adorati. So you can really say, okay, here's what I saw then, and here's what I thought. Okay, now I looked again. Okay, I still like it. Like, okay, yeah, maybe a question mark arises. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe he's not as good, right? Okay, but it's still good. And and now you're doing that over time, over time, over time, and can never be static. So if you assess him as a player that could be a really good player, and now you start to look and say, okay, where does he fit into the draft? Like, again, if you think he's a top 10 pick and you have him ranked in your top 10 players in the draft, right, and you get him at 25, then you think you're getting a steal. Yeah. But the one thing I've learned about this, Chris, is that every single NHL team thinks you're getting a steal, <laughs> At some point in the draft. <laughs> because, Absolutely. because why? Because they've ranked him higher than he got drafted. Because they got their guy. <laughs> so time will tell. I like, I like Atu Ratty. You know what? I was one of the people that said I thought he could challenge for first overall. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anymore. And because I've watched other players play, and I've watched where Atu has played and how he's fit in with those guys, like, like, you know, in terms of comparables, and, you know, for comparison's sake, yeah, I know what I said when he was 16. I know what I said when he was 17. Well, guess what? I don't think that anymore. Right. And that's that's so something that I've really to learned, it. too. I think just watching players, specifically here in Vancouver, I watch a player get drafted. I see what things he needs to work on. And I get, you know, a couple of years to evaluate if they're working on those things. And I think that's what makes this draft so different is you mentioned, like, the U-17s. You see him there and you're like, oh, if he can improve on these couple things, he's going to shoot up a lot of people's rankings. And... Like you kind of said, we just haven't really had an opportunity to have that specifically for a lot of the CHL guys. Like, I feel for them and what their seasons have gone through. And, you know, some SHL guys as well with some shutdowns over there in the junior leagues in Sweden. But what I wanted to know was kind of like, who has been the guy for you that, that stuck out as just, he had some negatives a couple of years ago or a year ago and worked on those things really hard to be high up in rankings now because he fixed some of the problems that were probably popping off. So what I would say is, uh, I, you know, I, I, I differentiate between what I call developmental weaknesses mm -hmm. and inherent weaknesses. Okay. I don't think you can fix inherent weaknesses. Hockey sense, sorry, you, you're not going to be a good player at, at a higher level if your hockey sense isn't good. Yeah. 
they're not going to be. And skating becomes a limiting factor. You can work your butt off to improve. And these players work, Chris. They work and they work and they work, right? Uh, we drafted a player 1999 in Dallas, kid by the name of Mike Ryan. In the first round, he was a really, really good player. And he was a player that we thought, yeah, we project him. When he physically matures, he's going to be really good. Once he gets that physical maturity, he could skate, he could think, he could uh, he, he competed, he had good skills, and we thought we were getting a really good player. He was a good player. You know what the problem was? Could he had see. an inherent he had an inherent weakness. You know what the inherent weakness was? I'm going to guess skating, Craig. No, no, he was an excellent skater. Huh. He was not able to get physically, when I say excellent, like, I mean, the projection was with strength. He was only able to develop his strength to a certain extent. Yeah. He, as hard as he worked, he only had the, the, the capability to advance to a certain level. And when you're playing in the best level in the National Hockey League, and you can't get your skating and your strength and your ability to be quicker, a little bit faster, a little bit more agile. It's like his skating wasn't a flaw. His his capacity to, to add strength, necessary strength, to be able to compete at the highest level. You know, you can go and you can be in track and field forever and a day. You can go and run sprints and you can work on your strength and campaign, right? Some guys are going to be able to work and be faster than others. That's a reality. And it's no different than players. So when you look at players, and, and again, you look, I just talked about Benjamin Goudreau. To me, he, he, he had the skill. He had really good competitiveness in the net. He had a really good sense. But his, technically, he, he would overplay things. And when you're younger and you can get away with things, you know, you, you, you play a certain style in the net that affords you the ability to overcome some flaws. Mm. But as you move up levels, they get exposed. And so now what you're watching for, okay, does the goaltender understand that? Does the goaltender, you know, you know, have a better economy of movement? Does he, does he maintain his technical uh, stance and strengths, you know, through, through the motion of, through the progression of a play? That's what I'm looking for. Mm. And that's what I saw in Benjamin Goudreau, right? Zach Fucali was a really good, goaltender and he ran into the same problem that uh mike ryan ran into they they didn't have the capacity to develop the explosive quickness and the explosive speed and the strength and quickness to 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 excel at higher levels it doesn't mean they weren't good but we made the mike ryan didn't fail we looked at mike ryan and thought he could improve in that area he wasn't able to and that's nothing he could do anything about so what we thought was a developmental flaw was an inherent flaw. Now, NHL teams have the benefit now of working with physiologists, we're strength and conditioning, and trying to look at, okay, this player, we think he has to improve this much, and they give you some insights into the physiological capabilities of a player, and you can say, you know, his chances are 20%. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. So, and, and that's something that's changed. It's a lot over the last number of years. But, you know, so that's how I look at it with the developmental. I really, I watch the players from a, from a young, they work. They all put in the time and the work. And nothing is more common to me was, oh, do you know how hard he works? I go, yeah, just as hard as everybody else. <laughs> Most definitely. I think that. And I don't, yeah. you know, I don't celebrate hard work. Hard work is just a requirement for Absolutely. success at anything you do. 
Yeah, it's the the best ones will always have the best work ethic. I mean, that's that's shown time and time again. And yeah. and Vancouver is excited, I think, for getting back in the draft because you know last year, obviously, not having a first round pick, it's something that us as as Vancouver fans have been excited for. Was just kind of looking at these rankings. And there's a couple of really interesting names and and interesting fits. I think defense is obviously a priority for the Vancouver Canucks center as well. Um, the two big guys that I just want to kind of discuss right off the bat, a right shot guy is what the Canucks need, and Brant Clark at the top of a lot of people's rankings. What type of player do you kind of see him becoming at the NHL level? Because, I mean, you got the size, you got the shot, he was overplaying Slovakia this year, able to get some games in and get some eyes on him. What did you see from this year that maybe was different than seeing him playing in North America the last couple of years? Well, I saw Brant play since he was in midget. And the first thing I know, the first thing I saw in Brant, he was bold. Bold. He wasn't afraid to be the first guy on the breakout. He's not afraid to jump into the play and, and initiate the play. And, you know, listen, I, when I say comparable type, I think he combines, uh, the, uh, the play of two, two Norris Trophy winners. I'm not saying he is that. I'm just saying the type of player that he is. Right. And the two players that I think his type of game combines is Eric Carlson and Brett Burns. Hmm. He's got great vision. He's he's a good skater. He's great with the puck. He's poised. He's patient. He can thread the needle. And like Brett Burns, and this is where he's bold. And I love it about him. Like I think, uh, like I think he's a number one defenseman all day long. Wow, I think that 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 excites a lot of people because. I've, I've been curious to see about him because everything that I've heard when I've actually heard word of mouth about Clark, and I've seen him play a little bit here and there, not a ton, I'll be honest, but from the word of mouth that I heard, it's it's very positive, very, very positive, to be honest, similar to what you just said there. But I see him sometimes ranked, you know, 10th in a lot of people's list, 12th in a lot of people's list. Do you think that there's a reason why he isn't, like, a for sure top three guy on everybody's list? Because everything I hear about him, I mean, I, I can't hear a lot of knocks against his game, really. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. It's uh, it's always, uh, you know, I'm never one to say, you know, I, you know, look at somebody else's list. I try to understand why somebody uh, might think uh, differently about a player and try to apply it to how I'm assessing a player and, and whether you have a player too high or too low or everywhere in between. So I always try to do that. So w- w- without really knowing what goes into the assessment of, of him or other players and why they would do it, I, I really can't say. Yeah. All I all I can do is to say, for me, here's what I see. And, and, and Chris, you and me have talked about this previously. I have never, ever heard a team drafting a player stand up and go, we are not so excited about drafting player A because we're not so sure his skating is good enough. Right. We're not so sure his defensive play is good enough. Everybody so you draft a player for what he can do, right? right? And, you know, the other thing you hear all the time, oh, yeah, he's going to have to get stronger. What player doesn't have to get stronger? It's maybe, the dumbest comment you can make on a draft day. He's got to get stronger. Maybe like, Owen no Power kidding. Owen Power might break that mold a little bit. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he's got to get stronger. Yeah, and Simon Ivinson has to get stronger. They don't have to get taller. They have to get stronger. <laughs> true, and true. Because 18-year-old strength isn't 21-year-old strength, and it never will be. He's not physically mature, Owen Power, neither is Simon Ivinson. So 
you know, you celebrate players and evaluate you evaluate players for what they are and what you think they can contribute to your team, and then you celebrate them for that. Mm-hmm. Never once have I heard an NHL team stand up and go, ah, oh, we had to draft that guy. We're not so sure about his skating. Again, I talked about steals, right? Yeah. I talk about how thrilled they are to get so-and-so at 72, right? It's because they believe in what the player can do. But oh, how often do we hear about what a player... The next perfect player that comes along, be the first. <laughs> Most definitely. I, I wanted, and the other defenseman that obviously Vancouver's climbing for is, is brother of Quinn, uh, Luke Hughes, down there in the United States Development Program. Uh, is the injury something to be worried about, do you think, moving forward here? Nope, not one bit. Hmm. And well, what makes you say that about him? Because there's a lot, a lot of hype that you, know, you could reunite the Hughes brothers here in Vancouver. Well, I mean, Luke is different than Quinn. Luke is different than Quinn. Make no mistake about it. Quinn is unique in terms of his offense ability, his puck play. Luke is Luke is that real, what I call a real good all around complete defenseman. He's not going to put up the same points as Quinn, yeah. but penalty killing and his ability to, to to close the cycle and play, you know, in that well rounded defensive game. Not that Quinn doesn't compete, and not that Quinn doesn't get him invested in those areas, but Quinn's strength is having the puck on his stick and skating and opening up the ice and making plays in the offensive zone. Luke will do that. He's not going to do it at the same extent as Quinn. And I don't think Quinn can do the same, Can, can will, will be able, once Luke's physically mature and ready, I, I, I think that he'll have a little bit of an advantage because he's bigger, he's a little bit longer, he's not a little bit, he's longer, a little bit heavier. So he's going to be able to play in those one-on-one, uh, you know, cycle-breaking plays, you know, really territorial defending plays better than Quinn. Quinn gets in and digs in and he's good. Don't get me wrong here. But Luke's different in that regard. And, you know, hey, listen, if things work out, they could get Luke Hughes this year and Jack Hughes next year. They could have Jack, Luke, and Quinn. Oh, man. Yeah, don't uh, you're going to get Vancouver too excited with that one, Greg. Well, no, because there's a Jack Hughes that plays on the national team development program yeah. that's eligible for next year's draft. That's like the, the <laughs> Caulfield the, and Caulfield it's, play. It's not, it's not the Jack Hughes that plays in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, heck, you might as well add him in there, get all four of them. Uh, <laughs> one of the um, – I wanted to ask about one that I – one player that I just find so exciting to watch play in the SHL uh, in William Eklund. It's just – you see him and he's still – like with a lot of these guys that I watch in the SHL, Niels Huglander is a great example. His draft year, you know, he's there, he's playing. The next year after his draft year, he's he's actually contributing – but, like, I'm watching this William Eklund kid play at the SHL level, and he's already looking like one of the better players on the ice. Um, how, how dynamic is he just offensively, and should he be a lot of people's talk in the top three of this draft? Well, again, like, I, like, I, I don't think that, like, again, like, I don't think there's, there's groups of players. I try to get players in groupings. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you want a really good, I like the word you use, dynamic with William, because I think he is, and, he, and he's hungry, and he's competitive, and... You know, he's had a lot of success. I mean, I think he's going to be on Sweden's world championship team. And mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting because you have Owen Power playing. You have Matty Beniers playing. William Eklund has is, is got a real good chance of playing. So you, you, you get an opportunity now for teams picking in the top part of the draft to get a little bit more, uh, you know, opportunity to evaluate players against older competition. Right. And, and, and and that's really good for, for, for NHL uh, personnel. And, you know, with, with William, 
you, you watch him play and you watch him be able to, you know, make plays and get the puck and attack the net. And, and, and you know, really the, the mind and the hands and the feet are all in sync. And, you know, that's that, that, that's pretty impressive and pretty dynamic. If you want a left winger like William Eklund, he's there. If you want a center like Matty Beniers, who's just a, I think he's a Bo Horvat type centerman, mm-hmm. you can take him. If you want one of those defensemen, again, we always want to put a number beside it. Like if it was as easy as just saying, take the next best guy, it would be real simple. It's not about that. It's about saying, okay, here's what Owen Power offers. Here's what Brant Clark offers. Here's what Simon Edwinson offers. Here's what Luke Hughes, Matty Beniers, you know, William Eklund, you know, go through it all. Here's what they offer. What do you want? And get what you want. Because in my view, you know, you're looking at very, very, very comparable players in terms of how they're going to contribute to their team. Do you want the defenseman? Do you want the right shot defenseman? Do you want the center? Do you want the winger? Do you want the offensive guy? They're all factors that go into it. There's no way for anybody to say the second guy's better than the first. Okay, Connor McDavid aside and those guys. Right. But for the most part, nobody can say, well, the third guy's better than the, the second or the fourth, and the fourth guy's better than the fifth. Nobody can do it. Mm-hmm. And the next person or next people that can do it will be will be the first, and they're going to get paid a lot of money. <laughs> most definitely. I, I was put in the shoes the other day uh, on Twitter. Someone asked me, if you're picking first overall and you're the Vancouver Canucks, my decision was Matt Beneers just because of the fit and the comparable that you said about, you know, being the Bull Horvat type. The Canucks have needed a guy who can be a middle six center to really boost their top nine for a long time. But Brant Clark, he's got to be an option at right shot D. Say the Canucks are first on the board. With so many left shot guys in their group, do they kind of, like, where would you go with it, Craig? Because they have some holes at right D. They have some holes at center. They might want to go for one of the dynamic wingers in, in Eklund or Gunther, but... Where would you go, number one for the Canucks as an organization with what they need? So this is team building uh, uh, also, right? So it's uh, so you look at – so, again, we talk about where the players and, and where they fit in, right? So, I, like, do you not think that Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat aren't a really good top two center pair? Oh, I do. So, so Matty Beneers now, to me, gets pushed out a notch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think they got, like, you know, when I start to look at the likes of T. Miller and Brock Besser and, uh, you know, where they're at with, with, with respect to, you know, Hoaglander and everything, right? Like, Willie Mackland is, is good. I think until the uh, Vancouver Canucks start getting some really good defensemen, really good defensemen, I don't care how many centers they have. I don't care how many wingers they have. They're not going anywhere. There is no way that if those defensemen are available, that I'm not taking one of them. No way in hell. And for you, it's power sitting at the top. Do you think of that group? Well, well, no, no, no. I'm not going to make it. For me, I have all power one. But yeah. If you told me it's Brad Clark because I think he's a brilliant right shot defenseman, and we have Quinn Hughes, let's go. Right. If you want Simon Edvinson because he's such a brilliant defender and such a great skater and competitive. I'm good. Luke Hughes, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, again, I'm here to celebrate what they all – like, there's no Connor McDavid in that group that says he's clearly the best. True. But yeah. so this is where the discussion goes and everything. But there is no way in hell, in hell, 
that I'm not taking a defenseman if I'm the Vancouver Canucks in that spot. Absolutely. And and that's, you know, obviously a big need, and that's where you find the best ones. It seems to be the draft. I mean, you're not going to get them in free agency. It's hard to get them in trade. Um, and actually, I want to dive into as we're talking. Exactly, Chris. Yeah. So how are you going to get these top two defensemen? I think these guys are all top pair defensemen. Where are you going to get them if you don't draft them? Yeah, I mean, good luck. Good luck. You're going to need more than luck. Um, I wanted to ask about a couple guys that we've actually had on the show over the past month, uh, starting with local Vancouver kid Kent Johnson, because he's a center as well. Um, Has been able to play with Matt Beniers and Owen Power there at Michigan. For him, does it feel like he has more of the, I guess, you know, more dynamic offensive upside than Beniers? Because Beniers feels like the two way guy that, that feels like a strong guy that can can play defensively bring some offense as well but for me kent johnson just watching the way that that he creates offense it feels like a different type of offense to me it is i mean and i think ken johnson is a different type of player than matt Beniers. And, and again i think kent is is got terrific hands i think he's got a great creative mind and you know his, his ability to create space and ice and and opportunities uh, is really something that's special for him. And I, I, I think that that is uh, a real significant quality. And when, when I watch Kent and, you know, you, you play him with good wingers, he's going to be able to get the puck to them. But he's also going to be, uh, you know, players that need the support of others to get the best out of them. There's players that no matter who you play, they're going to drive it. Mm-hmm. Then you get those players that can give and take. And I think Kent falls into both ca- in the category of give and take. He'll give, but he'll also take. So it becomes a compliment. You, you know, the vast, I shouldn't say the vast majority, but the, the real good offensive players fall into the category of Kent Johnson. Right. You know, you know the the Austin Matthews, the Mitch Marners, the Drysaitels, the McDavid's, the Crosby. They're unique. It doesn't matter. They're going to drive it. The the rest of the players, you know, they are a measure. They are a balance of give and take. And I think that that's where Kent finds himself. And he's a good player. And he's a good offensive player. And I don't think there's any question he's going to be a good offensive player at the National League level. And so now you ask yourself, okay. It, 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 who, who, who's he going to be like? Like, what type of player that, that can he be like? And you, you, you can look at a lot of numbers. Is he, is he like a David Krejci type? You know, David Krejci's got great hands, great offensive mind, and can make those plays and creatively. Well, David Krejci's been a real good player for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's the type of player I see Kent as. That's interesting. And yeah, I mean, we were, we were blessed, uh, us here in BC, to watch him play in the BCHL. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That league. Terrific. And to see what he did in Michigan to follow that up was great. Another guy that we had on the show, uh, actually, just as he was quarantining at U18, was Fabian Lucell, who, I, at your most latest list, you had him at 27. I've seen a lot of people have him around, you know, the top five, top seven picks of theirs. Did he raise any stock from the U18? Because I saw a heck of a lot of great drives from end to end really from him at the U18s that just kind of blew my mind from some of the plays that I saw from him so where are you on uh, Lucell now I like Lucell but I think that he's a player that's a winger he, he he's a winger that's uh uh got really good gifts of scoring and you know gets around but, but he's gonna need to get the puck on the move he's gonna need to have somebody that can get him the puck I, I see him and, and I'm not saying is this as um, this isn't the comparable player I would use for him but there's two players that come into mind when I watch Fabian LaSalle Thomas Tatar and uh oh god I just I, I just went blank on uh Radom Verbata. okay so good scores right yeah absolutely 
real good, real good scores, real good in and around the net, but they, they, they needed to get the puck. And uh, do I think Fabian can be uh, 20 goals scoring in the National Hockey League? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think he can be, right? But, you know, the, the, those types of players, you know, need to, need to be able to benefit from the play of others, how they get the puck, when they get the puck, where they get the puck, all those things that are important for them to have success – I think Fabian's a, a driver in and of itself uh, by himself. He might be he might be like a Jakob Verana as well. It's mm. funny I just named three Czech players, and, <laughs> like, but but those types of players I think are good. But I think they're also uh, and and you know you have a team and you're looking at where players fit and and where they're at. Like for me, what really came to light, and and when I put out the top thirty two list yesterday. You know, what really came to light, and it came to light really early for me, is how damn good Matthew Coronado is, in my view. Hmm. Matthew Coronado drives, attacks, gets into the guts of the action. Not that Fabian doesn't, but Matthew doesn't have to wait for somebody to do something for him to, to benefit to a greater extent. And that's where I, that's why I pushed, that's why I have Matthew where I did. And I had a pretty good idea that I was going to have Matthew, like, like right in that area of the draft. Because what he does is is really really significant with respect to the way he plays, the way he attacks, and his skill level. Well, I will note that one down and get on Hockey TV uh, next week and have to dive into his game. So, <laughs> uh, the final thing I wanted to ask you about, Craig, before we let you go, um, Vasily Podkolzin, what he did in the playoffs for Ska over there. Um, a lot of people saw your rankings in, in early April and saw that you had him at 50 of the top NHL-affiliated prospects. I'm wondering, that was before the playoffs and what Hod Colson was able to do there and lead that team. Um, what did you see from him just at the playoffs in the KHL, and what should Canucks fans expect on day one when he gets here next year? Okay, a little, little quick definition on what those uh, the top I think that was in March I, I put out the mm-hmm. affiliated process. It, it's about readiness to come into the NHL and contribute. I see. It's not the players that I think are going to have best potential or the most potential. It, it, it's really about the best prospects for readiness to come into the NHL. That's what that is, and I can do a better job of defining that. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a knockdown. I'm trying to assess where the players are at in terms of right now, not where they're going to be at in two years' time or career-wise or who I think has the best potential. Mm-hmm. It's about where they sit right now as terms of readiness. Now, when you think, so I did 75. I've usually done 50. So if you think about 50, 75, we think about 50. That means every every team should have no like two two players yeah. that are that, that have some degree of readiness to come into the NHL, right? Like Jeremy Swayman was high on my list because he's ready to come in and play in the NHL. He wasn't in the NHL when I did that list, but it was a, it was an assessment of readiness to come in and contribute. Is Jeremy Swayman better than some other players? Not necessarily long term. Mm-hmm. But he's gone in and shown that he was ready to come in and play, yeah. and that's what I'm. And that's what that list is. So that's just an explanatory note. I, I've said this before: if Billy Pod Colson isn't going to be a really good, strong, uh, productive player in the NHL, I'm just getting out of the business. Yeah, because he, and and it's not just about points. It's it's about all the things he adds to a team, all the things that helps good players be better, that helps teams be better. 
And that's what Vasily does. And I think what the playoffs demonstrated, and, and certainly right now after watching him in the playoffs and whatnot, you would say, okay, that's a higher, uh, there's a greater uh, degree of readiness now for Vasily Podkolzin. I'm going to go back to my, it's not static. I'm watching all the time. Right. And if you want to just get into static evaluations, you, you, you're not going to see the forest for the trees. And so if I had to do that now, based on what I've just seen, because that's, that's meaningful, it's real, you got to say that Vasily's readiness is, is elevated, okay? But going when I did that list, you're going, okay, how, how ready is he? How much time will he need? But in terms of long-term potential, mid-term potential, whatever, I have never had a doubt about Vasily Buck-Colson. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I think a lot of people are expecting because I've been following him and Niels Huggler very closely since they were drafted, and I've been higher on Vasily Podkolzin the whole time. I mean, since both of them were drafted, I've been higher on Podkolzin, and we've seen what Huglander has been able to come in and do. Are you expecting something similar from him next season? Uh, yeah, I would say yes. I would say yes. I would say that, you know, I, I, I've never – I've always liked the way Nils has played. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw Nils play when he was 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. I watched him. He, 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 he always played with bite. He always played with a high degree of competitiveness. He was always invested in the hard areas of the game. And I always felt that Nils was going to be able to play with good players because he was going to be able to do things for them that was going to help them. I never felt that Nils was going to be a high-end offensive producer. And that doesn't mean you're not going to help produce offense. It just means you're not going to be at the level of a Pedersen or a JT Miller. But you can't under you can't underestimate the importance of those players. And I think Vasily Podkolzin falls into the same category. They have Vancouver has lots of high end skill, right? Like you know they have lots, of, but it's team building. It, it, it's 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 roster construction and trying to get. You know, you need the skill. You need the high end. You need the at, at the key positions, and then you got to build it out. Uh, Hoglander, Pod Colson, they're they're significant players for the success of the Vancouver Canucks. The question you asked me earlier about when I take a there's no way in hell I'm not taking a defenseman if I'm picking in that top. There's no way because I got Pedersen. And I got Besser, and I got Horvat, and I got Miller, and I got Pod Coles in coming, and I got Hoaglander on the team. Like, you're not going anywhere unless you get the blue line improved. It doesn't matter how good those guys are up front. You need blue liners and good ones. And this feels like the draft forward if they're picking high, right, Craig? Well, opportunity, opportunity meets need. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap things up there, Craig. I really appreciate uh, you taking some time out of your day to, to come and uh, inform myself, inform the listeners, and, and get Vancouver excited about the Silly Pod Coles and even more. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, listen, it's a passionate fan base uh, in Vancouver. And, you know, you look back to last year and what the Canucks did. And, and you know, I think that, you know, we can evaluate this year for the Canucks. And, you know, we all can have our criticisms here or there. I, I still believe that they have a really good, strong base mm-hmm. uh, of promise. And, and, and they're and not only in their present player pool, but in their future player pool. And this draft is going to afford them another opportunity uh, to add, you know, not just not, not just a really good, I think, what will, will be a really important player to their team, but will start to, you know, give them the, the, 
the construction and, and the building of a roster that's going to make them competitive and, and, you know, really help everybody else. Quickly, when they had Besser, Pedersen, and Horvat, I really felt, I said, they relied on too few for too much. Hmm. So they added Pearson, they added Jayler, they added Toffoli, and what happened? Away they went, right? They got a lot better. Everybody gets pushed down into a, pushed down into a more comfortable slot. Well, that's important, right? Well, now, again, you, you, you uh, on the blue line, they've relied on too few for too much. Right. They got to, they got to do what they did in the forward group. And, you know, whether that's in free agency, the draft is going to afford you a different opportunity, trades. That's where you got to build it out. And I think that Demko's shown what he can do. The forward group is in good hands. The blue line has to be a real focus here. Absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of Canucks fans agree with you on that one, Craig. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, all you can do is, is you know, uh, is, is put, put forth your ideas, put forth why you think something like that, right? And there's lots of really, really uh, different uh, answers to, to, to what can uh, uh, help the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've you got to consider all of those, right? Yeah. But, again, I'll, I'll finish with this, Chris, just real quickly. Like, there's no way, in my view, having seen the draft and seen players, that, like, if, if they're not taking a defenseman and they say we can get a defenseman in a different part of the draft, yeah, you can get a defenseman. Mm. You will not get any defenseman like you have uh, uh, available to you at the top end of this draft later in the draft. That's my view. Absolutely. And that's and we're going to see. I mean, the opportunity is going to present itself uh, for sure at this upcoming draft. So we'll yeah. be excited for it. And I think a lot of people are excited to hear your voice back on the Canucks conversation. Craig, uh, really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. And uh, we'll chat soon, maybe uh, sometime around the draft or something again. Uh, always a pleasure to join you. You just uh, let me know, and I'll uh, we'll, I'll be part of it. I'm, I always appreciate you uh, reaching out. I always love talking. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a good match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Craig. Thank you. And a big thank you to Craig Button for joining us there to break down the U18s and everything else surrounding the 2021 draft. Now let's head over to Russia. That's right, we're going over to talk some Russian prospects now with our guest, first time on the show as well, Dylan Griffin. All right, guys, joining us now for the continued NHL draft coverage. You can find him on Twitter at Griffin Dylan, and you can find his work at EP Rinkside. It's Dylan Griffin. How are you doing, Dylan? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with another guy who probably has to wake up pretty damn early to watch KHL games, I'm sure. I stay up instead. <laughs> You're one of those guys. Are you on the East Coast then? Because I always wondered about that because I'm over here on the West Coast, so it's like a lot of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. starts for me. Yeah, I'm in Wisconsin, so it's like anywhere from game start midnight all the way up to like 6 a.m., so got to do what you got to do, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I've maybe done one or two of the like, oh, I'm still up at 2 a.m., and Dimitri Zlodia is now playing an NHL game, so i got to watch that and stay up till 5. And yeah. uh, It's good to talk to someone else who goes through the struggle. That's sure. <laughs> um, So Russian Prospects is what we're going to have you on here to, to chat mostly about. Um, Canucks are going to be picking for a pretty high draft pick and I think a guy who raised his stock at the U18s quite a bit uh, and maybe you can help me with the pronunciation of the first name here because I don't think I've ever seen this first name before but Fyodor Svechkov is the first guy I kind of wanted to dive into Um, pretty high in a lot of people's rankings elite prospects has him pretty high played in the MHL this year but what have you seen from him and maybe why should he be potentially higher or lower than 14 is where I see him at elite prospects ranking 
Yeah, I've been a fan of him basically all year. I started off kind of lenient about where I had him ranked, like early second. Um, but the more I've seen of him, uh, he's just been fantastic. He was obviously great at the U18s. He was Russia's first line center. Um, great defensively, has skills that are just hidden. Uh, like he's really smart with them. He's not super flashy, but he's really effective. Um, just a great two way center. Um, haven't seen anybody better defensively than him, at least forwards wise in this draft class. I have him right now all the way up at 12. Uh, and then he's in a range for me that goes all the way up to eighth overall. So it's kind of like fringing in on that top 10. But yeah, he's just been super impressive playing in a men's league basically all year in the VHL on a not so good team. So he's kind of forced to do look good yeah. while, play, while playing with players who just don't. <laughs> I mean, uh, and that's a tough spot that I think a lot of Russians find themselves in, depending on what team they kind of land with. I mean, you, if you're not with the Ska or the Dynamo or you know another big name team, it's kind of hard to to get a lot of support for these players. But you mentioned. A good defensive center. Um, the Canucks kind of need that if they're maybe picking a little bit later. So for him, is there something that's like a little bit of a weakness offensively, or is it is it more of like an all around player for him? Uh, there's some questions about just like how dynamic he is. Um, I think at the U18s, he showed off a lot more of that. How dynamic he can be to generate offense. Um, but it's something that he struggled with, and it's another thing that could just go back to while well, he's playing with players who maybe aren't on the same level, even though they should be because it's a men's league. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, he has the tools. He's a good passer. Uh, his, his shot's, you know, good enough. His skating is good. His skills are all there. I just think it's something with time, playing with better players. He just got a, he just got traded to Ska. Oh, um, so, so he'll be in their system next season. And then he's under contract for the next two years. Um, so he'll be playing with a better VHL team, a better MHL team than uh, a lot of Togliati, who he was with before. They don't have a KHL team. Okay. So now he has that opportunity, uh, whether or not he'll play there next year. Uh, Scott, obviously, uh, never really giving their young players a lot of time on ice. Uh, but just the VHL, uh, that upgrade in team is going to help him out in his development for sure. Well, that's good to hear. And, and yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir here to Canucks fans about uh, <laughs> young players not getting ice time. Uh, another guy with Scott, it, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people kind of have him at the top end of the second round. Maybe some people late first round. Can you give me a breakdown of the winger Nikita Chiprikov, uh from Scott, as you mentioned? Uh, yeah, he's he's a frustrating one for me. I've spent the whole year just really wanting to like him a lot. And it's just the consistency isn't always there with him. Hmm. Uh, at the U18s, I thought he was fine. Like, not, like, blow away as he, like, is touted to be if he's somewhere you have, like, someone you have in that, like, first half of the first round. Right. Uh, he just wasn't that for me. Um, he's a great skater. He's like his skill is great. He's super flashy, but there's just not a lot of full uh, roundedness to his game, and it's not showing up consistently enough. I have him like fringing the first round, just outside of it. I just bumped him down a little bit after the U18s, um, but to me, he can go anywhere late first, second round. I'm not. I don't hate him. He's just not the guy I would take with my first pick of the draft. Mm. 
I see. So potentially maybe there for the Canucks in the second round. When you talk about a, maybe a lack of consistency, what are some of the things that you actually do consistently see from his game? Like, is he type of scorer? Is it about the speed? Or, or what are the things that, that he definitely does every time he's on the ice? Uh, just leaving out the MHL games, because those are kind of like his outliers. Mm-hmm. Uh, out Like, weirdly, his worst games are coming in the youth league. That's strange. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's always playing at like a high tempo, um, just trying to drive offense. Uh, obviously, like I said, he's a great skater, so he always shows that off. And he's always like trying these like super skill moves. Uh, it's just those aren't always coming off, and that kind of diminishes his whole game because he's not super physical. Uh, he gets knocked off the puck easily because because of, of his size. Um, but when he kind of gets his feet moving, he's great offensively he can do these flashy passes that just shouldn't work but they do um his shot is uh it's good he kind of doesn't uh get it from good locations all the time he's he's a very like gifable player like you could <laughs> watch a game and be like that, that's a cool move right there yeah uh, but when you get down to like the general effectiveness of it it's you gotta ask questions about what he is, really. So it kind of sounds like the opposite of Pod Colson, which we'll we'll get into a lot of uh, later on here. But there's there's another guy in the MHL who kind of does the opposite of what you were just talking about there. Uh, the only player eligible for this draft with over a point per game from the MHL, Alexander Kizikov. Can you just break down his game? Because I remember, you know, I was watching a lot of Dmitry Zlodiev this year uh, in the MHL when he was there bouncing between the VHL. And just looking at MHL stats, like, this guy's numbers were just popping off. 73 points, 61 games, 36 of them being goals. So I had to watch some of the goals. And just consistent-looking player who's not really ranked. Like, I, I feel like you put up that kind of numbers in the MHL. you got to be on a lot of people's first-round boards. But I'm not seeing Alexander Kizikov on a lot of first-rounds. Yeah, he's a case of just the points not really reflecting his overall game. Mm-hmm. Uh, NHL Central Scouting gave him an A grade, and I think that's really just looking at the points and being like, okay, this is probably going to be a really good player. Right. Uh, I'm more conservative about him. I don't think that what I've seen of him has been warranted of even like a second-round player. Uh, he's... Not like a very particular. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. He's a good skater, but nothing very uh, detailed about his game. Uh, he's just really good at keeping speed, um, making turns where he stays at a high pace. But once you kind of take that pace away from him, you start feeling like, okay, this is just kind of an MHL player, which is not really something you want to draft. Yeah. Because uh, MHL is not a great league, I'll admit that. Uh, but. He has a good release on his shot. He obviously scores a lot. Uh, playing on a very, very good MHL team. They won the Karlamov Cup. Mm. Um, but he, there's obviously things there, but everything is just so, like, nothing about his game is perfect or, like, even, like, a high level. It's all just super close to being there. So it's, you, you want to, like, check off boxes for a player. You can't really check any of his boxes, but if there was a section for almost there, you could probably start checking off some boxes there. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, because that, that feels like the type of player where it's like, maybe you take a risk on him in a late-round pick for an NHL team, but maybe he just ends up staying in Russia and, you know, VHL, KHL type of guy, right? Am I kind of getting the read off that right? Yeah, I think you can 
I'd be willing to take him as high as maybe the third round mm-hmm. and just give him time in Russia because obviously they can move up to the KHL, which is always something that you can use to your advantage. Um, but as for like a top two round guy, I'm gonna shy away from him there. And one of the guys that I think, just from looking at some of the tracking that you've done, I think you're a little bit higher than most scouts on him, uh, is defenseman Daniil Chayka. And actually, I just talked with Craig Button, and he brought his name up a couple times. Um, is there a reason why, I mean, like, some of the, the things that you're tracking for KHL players, he seems to stack up pretty good against them. Just from looking at the type of player that he is, are you pretty high on him compared to maybe regular people just kind of having him as a second, third round guy? This is actually a, a great time to question because I actually just bumped him down a bunch. <laughs> uh, I I watched a few more of his games in the VHL, and I just came away with like a super sour taste in my mouth. Um, I I was kind of like trying to stay high on him, um, but the devil's in the details. Uh, he plays super passively. Um, there's not a lot of deception to his game. Uh, he just fires shots from the point consistently. Um, which I think is something that's fixable, but still, like, for something that's been happening for the past two, three seasons with him, I get concerned with that. Um, there's obviously good things that made him so high for me before. Um, he's a great skater, especially for a player of his size. Um, he can, he passes the puck really well. He controls, uh, dangerous offense from the opponent, from the opponents. Um, but I just haven't seen him at that level enough especially with the last couple of viewings I had of him he was just so passive and so like just not going to do anything physically just try to reach a stick in and get beat uh, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan anymore okay, <laughs> fair enough. I, I've seen him tracking pretty well in some of the things that you've been putting out I think it was one of your pinned tweets as well but I, I just think it's, it's kind of strange because like I see that a guy at his age is getting games at the KHL um you know, on a, on a decent CSKA team, like, is there maybe a reason for that? Or was he just not playing a lot of minutes? Uh, he was getting, you know, anywhere from like six minutes to 12 minutes a game. Uh, it's just, it feels like he can be in the KHL without getting killed. Hmm. It's just like, there's nothing that he's doing at like a level that's like standout player in the KHL. It's just kind of, he's there. <laughs> He's playing for he's playing for the team, and it's just not much else. Fair enough. I mean, we'll we'll see how how far he falls then, and maybe he's a third or fourth <laughs> round guy. You start to think about. Um, let's switch it up to Canucks a little bit because they they do have a couple of Russians that I wouldn't mind getting into it with you. With um, first one is a guy that you know picked in the sixth round for the Vancouver Canucks and Dmitry Zlodiev, who I think should have a pretty good shot of making the the World Juniors team. This coming winter, do you kind of feel that same sentiment towards Zlodiev being one of the guys? I know he was one of the last cuts uh, from the team and actually was injured at training camp this year at the past World Juniors. Does he feel like a guy that that feels like a lock for the World Junior team for Russia this year? Oh yeah, for sure. I have him. He was one of the first names that came into my head when I was making a way too early prediction, <laughs> like right after uh, this year's World Juniors ends. He was one of the first names that I listed down, and I think. Canucks fans have to be excited about that. I mean, this is a sixth-round pick who I watched a lot of as well this year, and I just found that, like, the first thing that sticks out to me is just, like, how he looks when taking face-offs. Like, he looks just like an absolute pro in the face-off dot. Um, a lot of good attention to detail, and the motor was so high. Uh, what What's your kind of take on the player that Dmitry Zlodiev is right now? 
Uh, I really liked him going into the 2020 draft. I had him in like the third round, I think. Hmm. Um, I've just been a big fan of his creativity. Um, this year, he showed a lot more of that two-way play, um, really looking like he belongs in a league like the VHL, which is tougher. Um, when you're transitioning from an MHL player into the VHL, it's usually really tough to get off to a good start there. Um, his production wasn't great at all times. Um, I noticed that he kind of went on a big cold streak, mm-hmm. and then obviously getting injured was not helping him out. Um, but he looked comfortable in the VHL. Uh, he came back to the MHL, looked great in the playoffs, even though he didn't really uh, get to play all that much. It was just for like the later stages. Right. Um, but obviously his impact was there. Um, he has a great connection uh, with a lot of players on the team. He's been playing with uh, Bogdan Cherniev, who was picked by the Capitals. Uh, they've been playing together basically the past two seasons. Every game, they're on the same line together. Um, so they have a really good connection there. Uh, I think... As an NHL player in the future, if you just kind of, you can kind of go on any line, um, but you're mostly going to look at him as like a third line guy who's going to be that two-way center, be a little creative, get good things happening, and just develop well, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think the way that that I've kind of been projecting it is like looking at, I guess, kind of like the new age fourth line center, like a guy who's probably going to kill penalties for you, but can still bring a little bit of offense and doesn't just need to be like a slug on the ice. Like one of the things that that popped for Zlodiev. I think I was watching like his first game and just seeing a back check. And I was like, wow, like this, this guy, every single back check, he was just so committed to getting back. And I'm wondering, like you mentioned, you've been watching for a couple of years. Did you, and you said you saw some improvements in that two way part of the game and just kind of being more attentive to the defensive zone and being aware defensively. Yeah. Uh, last year I saw mostly him being kind of like that, uh, skilled playmaker. And then there was clearly room to grow. Mm-hmm. And then this year, uh, he's clearly reading plays better defensively. He's scanning well. He's dropping back, rotating around uh, to cover for the defenseman, doing that two or three times, uh, just covering, uh, making sure the, the defensemen aren't stranded back there. Uh, just really smart. <laughs> yeah, and, and you mentioned, like, when you said you were putting together a way-too-early roster for Russia, like, he was one of the names that popped off the page. Do you think he might shock some people a little bit at the World Juniors? Like, maybe not put up the crazy amount of points, but you know, a sixth-round pick that not a lot of people have probably heard of. Like, could he be a name that comes out of the World Juniors for Russia and be like, wow, like, this guy had a really good tournament? Yeah, I think, I don't know if he'll be, like, everyone on Twitter will be talking about him good, but he'll be a really effective player. Um, Maybe people start hyping him up a little bit more, Um, but it's all going to come down to his production, really, for that. That's what people really look like, or really look for. Um but yeah, if he's playing uh, second, third line, I think he'll do great for them. Just doing what he does, um, just a really good player. I enjoy watching him. I think he'll play well for them. Yeah, he's a great guy to deal with. He's been on the show a couple times. His English is actually pretty damn good too. It surprised me a little bit. Uh, okay, let's let's get to the big uh, the big topic here to bring you on. Talk about Vasily Podkolzin. Um, my projection is he comes into the Vancouver Canucks next year and makes an immediate impact, uh, potentially in the top six or playing on a third line. For for people that just haven't been able to watch a lot of him play, like we all know about his forechecking being strong. We all know about his effort level being strong, him being a tough guy. But I think a lot of people worry about just the offensive skills of his game. What would you say to people that say that he's not offensively good enough to be a top six player? Uh, you just got to kind of break down what he does. Um, 
he, one thing that like I can consider a downfall of his offense is just that he constantly is dropping the shoulder, going straight to the net, flailing a backhander and hoping for the best. Mm. Um, that's something I'd like to see cut down on. Um, but this year, I've definitely seen a lot more of him like setting up the offense, you know, making the smart passes, moving the puck around well. And he does have that shot that he can do um, once he gets to a position that's good enough. Um, I saw that especially a lot at the World Juniors, even though Team Russia wasn't actually really all that good. Uh, he he did he did look good there uh, in the KHL. He's obviously moving up and down the lines for whatever reasons, um, so it's kind of difficult for him to get things going there. Uh, so if you do watch a game, it is kind of like you you have to kind of know the background of the game, like look at the game before. Where was he playing there? Or was he playing the game before that? Because changing basically every game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has skills. He has a playmaking ability. He's a fantastic passer. He's got the physicality. I'm not worried about his offense in the slightest, really. It's just kind of breaking out of the consistent, like the consistent things that he's doing um, that are kind of negative. But getting to the puck to the net is usually a good thing. Just got to work on finishing. Yeah, and... I want to talk about the physical side of his game a little bit because uh, just the the motor's just, like, it's hard to see any other player give that much try in such a high-level league like the KHL. And to me, it's just like, he just screams like he's ready for the NHL physically. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, he's got the motor. He just, he's a bulldog, basically. Mm. Just goes after everyone. Uh as just like a base level bottom sixer in his first year, I think he'll do great. Mm-hmm. And playmaking, something that you mentioned, I just find that like when he's able to get consistent line mates that are NHL finishers, like that's when I really think his playmaking is going to shine. Because over the past couple of World Juniors, like we've seen uh, a lot of Vasily Podkolzin play top line minutes for the last two years with Russia, and a lot of the times it's just like he he looks like an, one of the best players, if not the best player in the tournament at times but doesn't get a lot of help uh, on the finishing. Do you think that that's going to be a big jump for him offensively when he's playing with, you know, potentially a Bo Horvat who has that good shot from the slot or, or Niels Huglander who we've seen be able to finish from really anywhere on the ice? Like, is it going to help Pod Colson when he's with NHL players? And how much of a jump will that be for his offensive game? Uh, for sure, he'll be... Uh, having that is going to improve his game so much. Um, KHL players are obviously good. It's a high-level competition. They're competing with the NHL. Um, but NHLers are the best hockey players in the world. Um, so having someone like Horvat or Hoglander, or anybody on the Canucks really that can shoot the puck well, uh, just having them to be there, uh, his production is going to boost. Um, he's going to look more comfortable. The confidence will be there. Uh, obviously having a coach who's main focus is him developing to be a great NHL player rather than a coach who wants him to be a KHL player and never go to the NHL because he's theirs and they want him. Um, that's obviously going to all combine to make him a really solid NHL player. Yeah, I, I worry for Mitchkov a little bit <laughs> because well, he's got oh, a yeah. five-year deal, right? He's there until 2026. Oh, that's... Yeah. Uh... That's going to hurt him a little bit, uh, but man, to see what he's been able to do has been incredible. For the last thing I want to ask about Pod Colson, do you see a strength on one side compared to the other? Because I know he's been able to play both wings. Uh, I don't really, haven't really seen a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's slightly better on the left wing, but 
I don't think that's really going to change much, depending on which wings he plays on. Fair enough, yeah. It's, it's just nice, like, you think he's pretty capable of doing both, because I feel like he plays more on the right wing, but you kind of like him a little bit more on the left, you are saying? Yeah, just uh, just helps him when he cuts into the net. He's on that other side. And what about on the power play? Because he's got a little bit of time with Scott when he's over there, but, you know, when he's playing on the world junior team, he was playing on the right half wall, but I kind of like, like, I like what he able, what he's able to bring as like, not necessarily a net front presence, but just a guy who's around the net. Cause it feels like he's another guy that can be, I, I guess a, like a passing option and be able to make plays from the net front presence. And he's not afraid to, you know, be physical and push off defenders that are trying to get him out of the crease. Yeah. Obviously he can get physical with everyone. Um, but yeah, you get him the puck there. He has, he just finds room to use, uh, he can uh, come around the net, play the puck out from there, um, just make a move to cut outside, play it back in, just always finding open teammates. He scans really well. Um, so having him on the power play, obviously Ska uh, didn't because they didn't want to use him anywhere, apparently. Yeah. Uh, World Juniors is, was difficult to judge because, again, that team was just not that good as what they should be. Um, but putting him on an NHL power play, giving him that role, telling him, hey, find open teammates, he'll do it, he'll create space, he'll create offense, good things will happen. With uh, with the World Championships coming up, what kind of expectations do you have for him? Because uh, Igor Larionov, I believe, is the coach of that team, so is he going to kind of be freed up to do some more of those things that we like to see from Pod Colson? Uh, that's, that's a tough one. It's always, it's always difficult to try to, like, guess what's going to happen with them. Yeah. Uh, he's been playing with the Russian national team, uh, and he just kind of gets, like, third-line minutes, nothing, like, too out of the ordinary. Um, I think it'll just come down to how he plays, how he does in camp, um, all that stuff. Um, it's tough to guess, like I said. Um, but, I mean, I don't see why he shouldn't be getting good minutes, power play time, all that. And expectations for Pod Colson in his rookie NHL season. What do you kind of want to set them at? I'd like to see a good third liner. I think people tend to look at these players in the KHL and see like how good they are there, and then they want them immediately in the top six. Uh, something I saw a lot with Kraftsov, uh, who came over this year, and he, he's just been a fine third, fourth liner. That's what I kind of that, – those are my expectations for him. Um I think he could go above and beyond, but I don't think that uh, immediately throwing him in the top six is going to be good for him, especially since he's only been playing 10 minutes a night in Russia right now. Right. Uh, so just kind of take that first year slow. If he's playing super well, then move him up. Obviously, you have Horvat as, as the second-line center, so playing anyone with him is obviously going to help him. Um, so just... Kind of take it slow, don't rush him in anything, and go from there. Absolutely. I think that's what a lot of people kind of said about Huglander, right? Like, a lot of people were like, you know, he's only playing 12 minutes in the SHL, but was able to make such an impact, I think, because of the fit. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing for Pod Colson is, you know, is he is he playing with a Brandon Sutter, or is he playing with a Bo Horvat? Because you should have ex- really different expectations on which line he kind of plays on, and I think that's what you kind of write. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It'll be interesting. I mean, a lot of people want to see a Pod Colson Horvat Huglander line. Uh, I mean, that that just feels like a hell of a lot of fun, anyways. But uh, as we kind of wrap up here, I'm wondering if you can maybe just give me a couple names that that you're a lot higher on going into this 2020 draft 
um, that maybe people, if, if we end up picking maybe in the fourth or the fifth round, like we pick this guy and you, and the Canucks get a steal. Like, do you have a couple of names that you're pretty high on in this upcoming draft that maybe a lot of other scouts have, you know, sixth, seventh round, or maybe not even being drafted? Uh, I really like Dmitry Kadalevsky. Uh, he was on the Russian U18 team. He's been playing in the VHL all year, playing with Alexander Kovanov. Um, he's, he broke the record. Uh, for most points for a U18 player in the VHL. Hmm. Um, but I don't really... His offense, to me, isn't what I'm looking at. I look more like at his defensive game. He's a great puck retriever. He's a super hard worker. He uh, is really fluid off the puck. Uh, just moves around really well. I have him in, like, the second round, but I wouldn't take him with my second pick. i take him, like, third or fourth pick. Hmm. So if you're looking for someone in later rounds, he would be one that I'd be drawn to. Um, and then, uh, staying in Russia because that's what I know best, <laughs> uh, uh, Kirill Grasimyuk, uh, he's a goalie for Skavar Yagi. Uh, he was on the U18 team as well. He kind of had a rough two games at the start. And so he got benched for the rest of it because Sergei Ivanov decided to be elite. Um, so I'm kind of worried about his stock there because he's been super good on a terrible, terrible team. Um, so for a goalie, I know the Canucks already have Demko and the DPHRO if he's going to make his way up anytime. But another goalie option is there, especially since he's going to be there way later than he should be because he's right. super good. That's interesting. I wonder because having Ian Clark here as the, the goaltending guru, one of the best coaches in the world for goaltenders, like he, he seems to find these guys if they're out there, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll I, have to see there. I think you can just look at Gerasimuk stats and be like, okay, this guy's on a really bad team and he's putting up some of the best numbers in the league. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's take him late. Why not? <laughs> Why not take a shot for sure? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the Canucks have gone the Russian way a little bit over the past couple of years, but it feels like I think it was something like seven years they didn't draft a Russian or something like that. It was a, it was a long time without. So maybe this year is the year that we see a switch because there's a lot of guys coming out of the MHL. So uh, Dylan, it's been uh, it's been great to chat with you. Learn a lot about Russians here and I. Uh, uh, maybe just learned about pronouncing their names a little bit better from you, so I appreciate that anyways. Uh, and no you got your work coming up on EP Rinkside. Do you have anything that you want to promote that'll be uh, coming up here soon? Uh, I'm going to drop rankings soon, I think, but I don't really have much planned <laughs> right now. Fair enough. Well, it's good, to, it's good to hear it. I mean, with World Championships and everything coming up, there should be a lot of discussion uh, specifically around Pod Colson again, so we might have to shoot you a DM and get your... Uh, Get your opinions on a couple of things. Appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's uh, it's been good chat here. No problem. And a big thank you to Dylan for joining us there on the show. A first-time guest on the show, and I think we'll have to have him back to talk some more Russian prospects for sure. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of prospects with our next guest here, so why don't we dive right into that conversation. You guys know him. He's been on the show a handful of times before. It's Cam Robinson of Elite Prospects. He's going to join us here to break down the pretty much the top 15 picks uh, of the 2021 draft and how they fit with Vancouver. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Cam Robinson. All right, guys, joining us now, returning guest of the show, our favorite guy to talk draft with, but don't tell the other guests of the show about that. Uh, you know him on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Robinson, Cam Robinson. How you doing, Cam? I'm doing well, buddy. I'm, I'm sure you intro everybody like that, hey, and just make yeah. sure we don't listen to it. Oh, yeah. totally. Craig uh, Craig Button got the, he's our favorite draft guy for sure. Uh, but, uh, hey, the new role, we haven't talked since uh, Elite Prospects, so how's that been going for you uh, since you made the move? 
Oh, it's it's been tremendous, man. To be to be completely honest with you, the group of people we have there is just they are top end. Uh, we joke around with it a little bit in the Slack group, but you know we're we're gonna one day take over the whole uh, the whole league. That's how smart this group of people is, and uh, we challenge each other, but in a really positive, friendly way too. And and I learn a ton from them, and uh, it, it's really it's a it's a great spot. And so lots of love to JD for uh, putting it all together over there. And yeah, it's good. Hopefully, we're uh, we're making waves in the industry too. It is good, and, and JD couldn't give me a promo code, unfortunately, so I'm paying full price for EP Rings. So, uh-huh. so I don't Buddy know who to talk me. to I'll, I'll hook that. you up next time. <laughs> yeah, I need the Robinson <laughs> discount. Um, there you go. Before we get into prospects and everything, the the leader of the Byfield hype train, uh, how stoked are you for, for getting him to get some NHL games in moving forward here? Oh, you know you'd love to see it, right? What he was doing in the AHL, too, as the youngest player in the league, uh, it, it wasn't surprising to me in the least. Uh, it was really, it's you know, some of these kids got to play in the AHL this year that were drafted that wouldn't normally be able to. Like, he was going to have to go back to, to the O and just dominate. It would have could have been a little bit of a stagnating season for him. But so his opportunity to go there, do really well in the American League as a teenager, and then step up and get some pro games in the NHL, too, it's it's great. I'll hold off on my, my backpats for, you know, five or six or 10 years and uh and then when he's definitively the best player in that group then i'll take my my lap of succession yeah we'll be knocking you over with the backpats in 10 years uh, That's right. uh i wanted to i kind of was gonna say this for the end but i kind of just want to get right to it off the top like let's say the dream scenario happens for the vancouver canucks um and they're picking first i i think i know who you're gonna go with but for the vancouver canucks and their fit if they're up at number one who should jim benning or whoever the gm is at the time be selecting for the vancouver canucks moving forward yeah, so uh, first of all, we know, and I'm sure you, this has been echoed by a few of the people you got on the show, is that this is not the year to win first overall. And that would be perfect Canuck to to get it this season, especially, you know, with Shane Wright coming in 22, with Connor Bernard coming in 23. Like, it'll just be silly because this year there's legitimately, you know, six – seven nine guys that could go first overall depending on who's picking and so that's just one of those years uh but for me you know i wrote the big article where i spent five thousand words and chatted with him and and broke down all his play and so it's brand clark for me he's still sitting number one on my board um i thought he was terrific at the u18s for canada he's by far their best defenseman um he's a right shot kid which matches perfectly with what vancouver needs right now and he's he's a two-way guy so he he's i think he's going to really blossom into more of a power play quarterback as well at the next level but he has really great defensive habits right now the only thing is that he doesn't have the best skating technique um, he relies on his inside edges a lot and that can get him crossed up a bit when he's faced with speed coming down on him. Um, so it works at this level right now, but it will be a challenge to keep that up when he's got, you know, Connor McDavid or, or something like this coming down on him. He's going to need to be able to not cross up or else he's going to get walked. So, you know, there is some, there's some things that need to be cleaned up for him as, you know, we can talk about a number of these players in the top 10 will all have something that needs to be cleaned up. But for me, his potential, um, you know, he's a very safe top four guy down the road, but, you know, he has that top pairing upside too. And like I said, I think he's got more offense to give. He loves to activate. He loves getting up into that rush, and he does it with intelligence where, you know, another guy like Simone Edvinson loves to activate, loves to beat that first forward too, but he's he's not doing it at the best of times all the, all the time. And Brant Clark really reads the play well. He's got an elite brain. Um, you'll hear that echoed from tons of scouts in the industry is that that brain is tops tops in the class for me. And, you know, you package that up with a six foot two right shot defenseman and in a year like this, he's going one for me. Hmm. And 
I'm wondering, like, a lot of people, I, I, like, I've seen his name around the top, top three, top five, and a lot of people's drafts, but I don't see him at number one a lot. Do you think that there's a reason for that? Like, maybe why he's not everybody's number one? Because a lot of people, like, it, it just feels like Owen Power gets that number one spot a lot of the time. Yeah, so Owen Power is a very good defenseman, and he's going to be a very good defenseman. I think, and I and I see the reason behind it, I, I'm okay with it, I have dabbled with him at the top of my board too, is that if everything breaks right with Owen Power, you're going to have yourself a pillar just because he's six foot five. <clears throat> pardon me, and the way he can skate. His I'm writing a, a deep dive for him for, for Elite Prospects right now. It's pretty well done, but we're going to hold off and, and, and drop it right before the World Championships. I think uh, his skating stride for for a man his size at six foot five is very very nice. Um, I make reference to I compare him to a little bit of Bowser and Mario Kart, <laughs> where you know maybe he isn't the quickest off the line. But once he gets moving, it is very difficult to stop him, and he get and he gets up there to some nice top speed. So um, Owen Power, you know, if everything goes right for him, he's going to be a, a tremendous all round number one defenseman. I just think the likelihood of that happening isn't super high. And so you know, if you're going one, and if you need a defenseman, especially one on the left side, yeah, I get that. I get taking him at one and hoping he turns into you know Victor Hedman, which I don't think is going to happen. He's not. He doesn't have those same offensive habits, that creativeness that. He's he's more of kind of a straight, straight up and down offensive player, and then defensively he has a ton of upside. I think that's where his his real his real upside lies is on the defensive side of things because he has a great stick. He obviously has the length. He has the physical frame to be a dominant physical player and really lean on players. Ala, you know Mo Sider, who mm-hmm. we're about to see when he steps into Detroit next year. Like this kid's going to be a beast to hammer and everybody. So I think that he could have more of that style to his game if you know if we can bake in a little more aggression. Um, uh, Owen Power, number one, Owen Power, number two, number three. I think those are all the very justifiable and probably the most likely guy to go in the top three this year. But for me, you know, he's still hanging around in, he's in my top five. He's going to be in my top five too. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just going to lean with the right shot kid who I just, I like the two way game better, I guess with Brent Clark. I think like I've seen a lot of Owen power play because I was like, Hey, I'm going to try and watch a uh, Canucks prospect, Jacob Truscott, like see if he gets some ice time. And it just felt like power was on the ice the whole damn time. And I think for a guy, his age, to be doing that for a team like Michigan, like that was that was where I just found like how they used him in every spot, how he was on the ice for so long, how you know power plays he almost spent the whole power play out there with them. Like those were the type of things where I was thinking like this guy showing that well at the NCAA has to boost his stock. So I, I do see why a lot of people have him at number one just for those reasons. Yeah, without a doubt, Michigan was so much fun this year too, oh, right? Like awesome. uh, having all those kids come in at the same time, and so it was very impressive what he did. And what impressed me the most was how he evolved throughout the season because it was similar to when he was a draft minus one there with Chicago Steel in the USHL coming in as a rookie in that league. He had some adjustment and he made it quickly and he played on that. It was an absolutely dominant team. They lost like four games all year or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the man on the back end, but his game really grew throughout that season. Same thing this year, you know, watching games back in whatever November, December of his, you know, he was making some mistakes and he didn't look overly comfortable or confident rushing the puck or making quick snapshots from the line. He was, you know, either kind of these half clappers, like don't miss it, get it through weekly. Um, and then as the season wore on, he was starting to engage a little bit more into the rush. He was starting to make a little bit more of those creative plays defensively. He looked more comfortable with speed coming down on him. 
he still makes some boneheaded plays. He'll still, you know, be flat-footed and reach out thinking, you know, he does have nine feet of reach with a stick or more, mm-hmm. but still, like, telegraphing it and so getting walked in on, on an inside move and then all of a sudden he's left standing at, like, you know, the, the face-off dot and the guys around him for a scoring chance in the high-danger play. We still see that throughout the year at times, but it was less frequent. And so that's what I want to see from a player, especially someone who's playing up a level like that in the in- double-A at a draft eligible. Um, if you can make strides quickly and it doesn't hurt when you're playing 22 minutes a night yeah. as a freshman to, to get those reps and to take those steps. But uh, no, I, I was, I have been impressed with what he's done throughout the season. And, you know, as as we're going to get some more uh, viewings on him here as he goes to the Worlds and hopefully he gets a real role. And, you know, if he can really prove himself capable, it's going to be a weaker World Championship this year, though. So he should get an opportunity, but we also have to kind of compare that when we're watching him against the level of play. But, you know, if he can show me some stuff, like there's, I'm not, I'm not locking Clark in. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not chiseled in stone. So we might see power up there yet. He's number one at the EP board heading into the U18. So, you know, he, he's a really good player and he's going to be a good player too. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll stick with Michigan and go with another guy who I've been pretty high on as well for being able to watch. And just, I think that it's a great fit for the Canucks to have a guy who could push to make Horvat the three C because the Canucks need a center so bad. If they're picking, you know, seven or six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. And Matt Beneers is there. Is he a great fit for the Vancouver Canucks moving forward? And, and what is his game kind of all about? Yeah. Matt Beneers, he's, he's a lot of fun and his game is all about pace play. Like he is, dynamic in that like high high pace of play terrific skating habits um he makes plays at with pace too which is you know huge right like we see some guys that they can fly but as soon as they get the puck their feet stop moving that is not him mm-hmm. um you know really his rush patterns are beautiful he, he you know crossover heavy changes of speed changes the direction you know he he can change the whole outlook of the defensive scheme to create lanes to, to distribute it to or to cut in and make these arc attacks. Um, I think his defensive game is really high end too. So he's great at rotating with his uh, with his wingers, with his defenders. Um, he has a really strong stick for stealing the puck. He's physical. And then obviously that motor of his and that skating ability defensively is going to just instantly make him a high impact player. I see this guy as playing all situations has the upside to be like a dynamic penalty killing forward um he takes he takes command of the ice you know he, he's he has great scanning habits he's a good decision making his anticipation's all there um i think he's deceptive with the puck um you know he i think he could still even clean up his stride a little bit too which is scary for how much he generates at this point um so i i think he's gonna really improve that shutdown game of his and and leverage that into a quickly into an NHL center position. Um, maybe it was a three C with whoever drafts him, but you know he could be coming out of school next year and instantly becoming a, a pretty impactful third line center. And then I, I see him more as probably a number two guy in the mold of like Dylan Larkin, where you'd want him as your number two guy on a really good team. I think that that they have some comparables in their in their style and and kind of the upside there too. So I like Matty Beniers. He's sitting number two on my board right now. If we want to we want to take a peek, I haven't released in a while, but he's as as of the moment he's number two on my list right now too and he's he just shows up everywhere right he had a terrific ncaa season really great world juniors um yeah i'm a fan yeah i mean there's there's a lot to like about his game and i i kind of want to just go like a completely different type of player but still a forward in william eklund who you know put up good numbers at the shl probably a lot of people's favorites if you're just a guy who follows gifts uh but i'm wondering can you kind of break down his game and kind of where do you where do you see him falling because he's a guy who you know, a lot of different rankings and a lot of different spots for Eklund. You never really see him in the same spot. But what's your kind of read on him as a scorer? 
Uh, you know, it's tough because I, I've seen it from both sides on Eklund. So there's a couple of people at, at EP who love this guy and they have sold me on some of the some of the intricacies of his game that it's like, oh, this screams this screams a pro player in a hurry and like, you know, a top six producer. Um, and then, you know, I talked to some Swedish guys and it always seems to be the Swedish guys, which, which is a little disconcerting, is that they don't think he's as good as, as some of us do. Um, they think, you know, even his coach uh, basically like threw water on the fire on his upside, you know, saying he's not, you know, he shouldn't be hyped up as a first overall pick it's like you're the coach and granted this coach is coaching elsewhere next year and he, it's like but still it was very strange um so but him you know similar to veneers he plays with a lot of pace and he he's he has really nice skating habits too um a, another player who has great you know directional changes through the neutral zone as he's carrying the puck i think the best part of his game though is this small area like he has great cutbacks and changes of direction he has a feel for pressure he can lean into that into that defensive guy to create pockets for himself to escape and absorb that and bounce off of it. Quick little saucer passes in tight like that. Um, and then really great vision. Like this kid can see trailers, uh, you know, like Bertuzzi used to. Uh, these guys will really see a two-on-one coming. Here it is. And all of a sudden he hits the fourth man high with like a backhand sauce right onto the tape and it's in the back of the net. So I love the way he sees the ice. Uh, the skating isn't like blistering by any means. I think that he, he lacks a little ankle flexion. He's a little hunched over um and that that affects you know some of his acceleration but once he's going and and he can show especially early on in shifts and early on in games where the technique's a little bit cleaner like he can burn through that neutral zone pretty well too in the shl he outproduced holtz and raymond this year as a year younger um you know granted he is an 02 uh so a little bit older for this class but you know it's a hard time this for for such a I, and i don't want to be insulting but it's kind of a black class overall like yeah. it's not overly exciting it maybe i've been doing this you know fairly seriously for eight years now and this might be the class that has been the least exciting for me to watch um but it's still very very difficult to place these top you know i want to say seven guys six guys it's really difficult where to put them because you know we've had Eklund at number one on ep um you know I, i've had him as low as number six on my board so he, he's going to be in that range I think he's going to be in that range for Vancouver too, you know, unless they go and, and win a couple games here down the stretch. But the vision, the passing skills, I think he's he's definitely got a top six upside to his game, um, but maybe not a first liner. And I'm wondering if, if he's your guy for this next question or not. You you can bring up somebody else if you want to, but you know you're obviously the fantasy guy as well uh, for keeper leagues. Just putting up points as a winger or a center as a forward, really. Like if you're only going with a forward for a point producer. Is is Eklund the number one for you? Is there somebody else on this list that that kind of sticks out as the best pure scorer in this? Mm. The best pure scorer is going to be Dylan Gunther. Mm. Um, so you know he he is a very manipulative scorer. Um, he releases off his outside foot. He's got a nice two touch, a really nice wrister, but everything's in stride. It's very NHL shot. Mm. Um, so he's going to score a lot of goals off the rush. And another guy who I think that there are, you know, some weaknesses to his game. He doesn't have great solo creation skills, so he can't really set himself up for, for his own scoring chances too often, or I don't imagine he's going to be able to have that opportunity in the NHL as much. So he's going to have to be relying on his center to be, you know, really crafty and creative and getting him that shot. Kind of like Arthur Cowley have a little bit. He's a, he's a better all-around player, I'd say, than him. But 
Um, he's going to be the best shooter. I think a kid like Chaz Lucius is probably going to be next, a very opportunistic scorer um, who just his timing around the net is impeccable. At the, you know, he's played for the program there um, this past year and the last couple of years. Um, he, he just he scores the goals that he's going to have a high conversion rate because he scores them all over the ice, but mostly in tight. And it's that all about that timing and getting it. And he gets it off his stick and up in a hurry and he can finish like that. If we're looking for points, yeah, Eklund's probably that guy, but I've got a, I've got another one here who I think, uh, you know, he's people woken up to him a little bit since the U 18s. Um, but I think he could be the best forward of the bunch. And that's going to be Mason McTavish. And for me, (laughs) you're going to ask about him. Yeah. His, his, his biggest strength, I think is understanding the strengths and weaknesses of his game and he plays them you know he plays them like a fiddle so he, he he plays a very very pro game so he's that big center who has great puck protection he another one who initiates contact to create pockets for himself and he can handle really well in in you know tight quarters around sticks um he uses skates he's He's that guy, that bumper spot on the power play is where I see him at the next level too. So he's got really great hand-eye coordination for tips. He can pop out and get that snapper, you know, out of what Horvat does for the Canucks a lot. Um, really nice vision, especially in close, works give and goes and those little saucer passes. But what I see from him moving forward is that I think he's gonna, his skating is going to take another step. I can see that he is, you know, his, he's a little upright. And his, you know, maybe his knees aren't bent as, as much as they should, but that's a really easy thing to fix, especially as someone gains strength in their lower half as they mature. So I think he's going to become this, you know, right now he's about an average skater. I think he's got the potential to become an above average skater, add some more problem solving to his game. So he's not much of a, or he's more of a problem solver right now is that adds more planning to his game as he's setting up his plays for him and his teammates. But, uh, you know, if he can, if he can add some more of that strength, add a little bit more speed to his game, I think he's going to develop into a high-end defensive forward with offensive upside, too. So uh, I think he's going to be one of these two-way guys, another one that can play all situations. You know, maybe he tops out as a really good second-line center um, who could play on your first power play unit. But uh, I think his upside is, you know, among the highest, and it's kind of hidden a little bit in the package that he shows right now. I think that this is one of these guys that he's still... He's still being molded a little bit, and that's and that's going to be okay. And, and a team, if they can get him, you know, Christ, if he's there outside of the top ten, like that's going to be a steal. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you, I bet you, I bet you, some NHL teams are thinking like I am though too. At you know, a, a center with good size like that, and all this kind of this clay waiting to be molded into, you know, he could be a first line guy. Like if things broke right, I think that he has that upside to all of a sudden be surprise you and be like, oh shit, like this guy's really good. Yeah, and I, I wanted to like kind of compare him with. Or just kind of get your comparables. Like it's it's a different type of player, obviously, with the size just being the big thing that shocks out. But like him and Kent Johnson, very different centers. But what would you say are some of the strengths of Kent Johnson's game? Because a lot of people saw what what he was able to do in the BCHL here and just see him rip up a league. You know, fit in pretty good with the NCAA team after a little bit of a slow start. But what have you kind of? What's your projection kind of on Kent Johnson? Because I think a lot of people are are very high on him, or they're just kind of very mad on him. Yeah, I'm kind of mad on him, and I think he's a winger at the next level for sure. Yeah. Um, he d- he doesn't have the he doesn't really have the center habits to to likely be a center in the NHL. I guess it could be in a certain situation if a team really needed him to be. But the kid's got high high end offensive skills. Um, he's great with the puck. He doesn't. 
the things that work for him, I was a little surprised they worked so well in the NCAA. And now he wasn't power. He wasn't getting 22 minutes a night, but he was getting a ton of offensive minutes with offensive players, right? Yeah. Playing Matty years a lot. Um, so, and then playing behind Bernard Brisson and Thomas Bordalo. So they had that, they were kind of the second wave of offense as the freshmen. So they weren't getting top end matchups either. But still, I was impressed that he was able to adapt from the BC up to the NCAA and make such an impact because he doesn't, he doesn't drive the inside a ton. He's more of a perimeter player. Um, but I I do like his craftiness. And he, he makes for some great gifts anyways, too, right? Like, he's he's a fun player to watch and a fun player to root for. So I think that he needs to add some more elements to his game to get into the dotted line, to get into the middle of the ice with some manipulation, with some deception, um, to be able to distribute through folds because he's going to be a target. He's not the biggest player um, and he's not the fastest player. So he's going to have to really use those puck skills well into his advantage. And, and I think added deception and then getting into the middle, it's tough for some players to do it because you have so much more ice on the outside because that's what defenders and defensive schemes are going to give you. And if you have more ice, you're like, Hey, I can use this to my advantage. I can make something happen. I can beat that other defender um but often you're going to run out of real estate and that's going to happen more and more in the nhl so i have some concerns about him and translating up i think he's one of these guys that if he can make it happen he's going to be a slippery enticing fun top six winger who who's going to make a lot of noise on the power play but if he doesn't if if it doesn't all break right for him um i don't think he's a player in the nhl because he doesn't have the defensive habits to to end up being kind of like a mold. You know, he can always adapt and change. He's still young. Um, another O2 kid, though. But you know, maybe he could change his game, uh, a wholesale change, and become an effective third-line type who could chip in with a little bit of offense. But as it stands right now, his game wouldn't fit the bottom six in an NHL team. And if he's not good enough to play in the top six, you know where that leaves you. Yeah, and you know, former guest of the show as well came on about a month ago. But I want to get to another guy who came on just before the U18s. Uh, who, uh, you know, after watching him at the U18s, really liked his game. I loved a lot of the rushes that we saw from the Swedish winger, Fabian Lucell. Um, have you have you raised your stock on him after the U18s a little bit, or where does he kind of sit for you? Yeah, he, he sits about where he sits for me, and that's, you know, he's around, he's in my top ten. He has been, I think, all season long. Um, you know, the kid plays with incredible pace, uh, and so he – he handles at pace too. Um, and what I've wanted to see from him all year is some, some change of pace. So mm-hmm. to, to add some of that, you know, gear shift to all of a sudden step back a little bit and the defenders are giving him so much room that now he has all this room to work with, to make a play um, rather than trying to burn wide all the time. And so, I thought he was pretty good at the U18s. I thought there was moments that there was games that he really, his game stood out and popped. And, you know, Sweden, they relied on him a lot, too. And, and with good reason, he was their best player. Um, they, they needed him to create offense. And so he was trying to take on maybe a little bit too much himself. Um, I didn't think he, I don't think he uses all of his skills to the to the best of his ability. Uh, I think that he, if he, uh, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's a dumb player by any means, but he's he's not like McTavish who understands what he has and what he doesn't have and then he sets himself up to, to, to succeed. I think Lysel knows he has a ton of speed and he's going to try to use it, but he doesn't always use it effectively. Mm. And so as he matures, hopefully we see that, right? So he's, he's a kid who moved SHL teams this year. Um, which, you know, the, the industry doesn't love that when a player wants out of one, one organization and into another one or, or you know, make, make some waves and gets himself dealt because if, you know, a, a player of his level and his quality that, you know, uh, clubs don't want to give those up too easily uh, without just cause. So, you know, there's, 
there's a little bit of concern about his game um, on the ice and off the ice about where he's going to be and is if he has that ability to really take those big steps that are going to need to happen over the next few years, as all these players are going to need to take. So um, I think he's he's sandwiched in there nicely outside of my top five, but you know he's going to be in that top ten. So I think he's he's got the ability to be a really nice transitional player. So if he can carry the puck through the the neutral zone with that kind of speed of his and you know Ella Nick Ehlers sort of thing who who, you know, dominates the, the controlled zone entries. I think Lysel could do that as well, but he's got he's to add some more deception and some more manipulation. Mm-hmm. And we learned he was very confident uh, when he came on yes, the show here. I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very confident in himself. Uh, I, I want to ask about Vancouver Canucks fans. Obviously, they're, they're excited about Luke Hughes being in this draft and potentially being there for the Canucks. Does, does the injury hurt a little bit of what's going to be moving forward with Hughes and really hurt his draft stock? And how do you kind of project him and, and – feel the fit what he would be with Vancouver Canucks here yeah uh the injury is uh, is quite concerning um you know they've it's never been officially been declared torn ligaments off of his foot and ankle um but that's what JD Burke reported um I'm confident with the sources that he got for that uh, you know we've we've obviously at our group there we talked about it a great deal um that's not an easy injury to get back from yeah. especially on a player who is so reliant on his skating um, he's not Quinn Hughes. So he's a very, very good skater. He's a very smooth skater, but he is not Quinn Hughes' level of skating. Hughes's skating is, as we all know, as watching the Canucks, and he, he was doing this when he was playing for the program, when he was playing at Michigan. He is crazy on his edges, right? You can't touch him in a phone booth. Um, that is not Luke Hughes. Hughes is more get up the ice and rush it. And if you remember scouting Philip Broberg a couple of years ago, Sometimes you get up there and you're rushing it and you got all the speed and you're cruising and then then what? He doesn't always have a good plan on where to go next and a lot of those rushes die with him in the offensive corner or you know just kind of losing control or giving it up or making a pass into a, a low danger play. Um, so his his rush habits aren't very good. His I, I would say his overall uh, hockey IQ isn't all that high. Um, it's fine. But he's not as creative as older brothers. Um, but you know his speed is going to cause fits in in transition for a lot of teams, um, just because he can either lead the rush or he can jump into it and be the fourth man high. Uh, his his game should translate with his skating skills, presuming that his injury doesn't hold him back too much. So like I hear he's still in a boot, um, and we're a couple months out. So that that alone is telling of how the severity of that injury, which would also indicate some tendon stuff, um, which are long term injuries and can have lasting effects. So um, you know there's also been you know some concern concerns about uh, some of the off the ice stuff too um I, I it's it's always kind of whispered through scouting circles on players that there's maybe a little bit concern about this player um so we always take it with a bit of grain of salt unless you actually know the scenario and know what happened you know like Alan mitchell miller last year when all that stuff went down you right. you find out what's really happening and then you can make your own judgment call but otherwise you're just kind of listening to all the noise and trying to sift through and, and see what's right and what's wrong but for me, just looking just at the the hockey player and the fit with Vancouver, it's not much of a fit. Right. Um, he's a left shot guy. So is Quinn. You know, so is Jack Rathbone. Um, I think there's a there's a very good chance, a, a good chance, anyways, that Rathbone it ends up being a better player than Luke Hughes does. Um, so I don't see any reason to really go that route unless it's Vancouver slips in the draft lottery or wins some games here and ends up picking ten and Hughes is the best player available, then yeah, go ahead and grab him if he's sitting there because that, that's fine. You're just going to add your, to your stable. But if you're picking at number three and Brant Clark's there or McTavish is there or Beneers is there or 
you know, power, whoever, you know, it's like, no, this is a better option for our organization and they're the best player. Let's not try to try to force a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, absolutely. And let's say like the Canucks are picking at eight. Let's just say eight, seven or eight, right? Like they're going to get a defenseman or a center that they really like here. Just from looking at a lot of these lists, like how, how big of a boost do you think that'll be for this franchise who desperately needs a guy who can play the right side? And hopefully Clark is the guy that drops, I guess, if you're looking at it or just one of the centers that are out there like this, this draft, even though it's a weird one, there's still the guys that are at the top of it are a real need for this Canucks team. It feels like. Yeah, they should. They unless they go out and go bananas here and win some games, which you know would also be very Canuck like. Uh, they will have a, a good option. They should have a good option. And even if it's even if it's a winger, you know, even if it's Eklund, even if it's Gunther, that, that's you're going to need some more offensive talent coming up through this organization. And so wherever you're going to find it, and you know, again, if they're picking nine, ten, you know, eight, even, and it's Simone Edvinson, he's not my guy. He's not my guy, but he's going to be a player that will help this team he's big he's got speed but again he's on the left side like it just it's there's not a lot of perfect fits for this or for this organization at this moment but they're these players aren't going to be plug and play anyways mm-hmm. so you never know where you're going to be in three four years you know does hughes take a bridge and then wants out you know then then maybe you're going to need another high-end left side guy you don't know yeah. you don't know what's going to happen so um let's hope that isn't the case but there's going to be some options there and then there's always the fun idea of you get a high pick and maybe you trade back. If I'm going to, if I'm going to do something, this would be the year I would trade back, especially if my guy wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like there's a lot of guys that are in the middle that a lot of people can be very high on. And uh, I, there's just one player I wanted to maybe, if you can give me like the 30 second breakdown of what has happened, because like I was looking through my drafts the other day and one from a long, long time ago was hashtag be crappy for Atu Ratti. And it was something that I was probably going to take tweet out for the Canucks fans. Um, but what has kind of happened with him? Because, you know, I've, not even maybe a year ago, a lot of people had him at number one. Uh, I've seen on Craig Button's latest list, I think he's in at 29. Um, so maybe you could just give a quick breakdown on what has, what has happened to Ratty? Um, I think that it's a case of too much put on him too soon okay. because he had the terrific 16-year-old season and this class was without a star that it was like, this guy should be the guy. He, he, if he keeps taking the steps, he'll be the number one pick. And he's not that player. And then instead of taking the steps, he's somewhat stagnated with his offense. Um, for a guy who scored a ton of goals there as a 16-year-old, like his, his, his goal scoring has really taken a hit. But I think it's also a case of people being like, he was supposed to be number one, he's not doing that much, let's put him outside of round one. And I don't think that that's fair either. I think he, he lands somewhere in the middle is that, you know, his strength are he, he's got a, he does have a nice shot as you know, he's, he's proven that previously at, and against men, his inside game, like he gets to the net. Like this guy is not to be denied. He goes hard to the slot. He drives it, uh, drives the net with or without the puck. He can take, he can take physicality. He can give physicality. Um, he's got some problem solving skills. I think defensively, he you know he fills the light the right lanes and routes. Um, really great four checker. Again, he's physically engaged. Uh, his rushing game is very strong, very very strong at the legal level. 
Um, but it's it's all very very north south, mm. and so I think that that will be easily solved from defensive matchups at the next level too. Um, he can get a little tunnel visiony. Uh, inconsistency, I guess, would be the name of the game with him this year too. Is that he he had a really bad start to the season? It was tough. He obviously didn't make the World Junior Team despite being a returnee, and I think that really woke him up. And he went back and he ended up playing in the in the SM league in the junior in the U20 league there and he was awesome like dominant like back to being like oh shit there's there's Atu Ratu yeah. um, and then came back up and I thought he was good in the Liga and then it's like game on game off shift on shift off um, you just you don't know what you're going to get from him I, I still think the kid could be a really strong second line center um, and if you're going to if people are going to sour on him and he's going to slip to 20 25 like especially in this class, like, sign me up. I think he should go in the teens. So I think he could go, you know, 11, 12, like, as high as that. You, you're you probably leaving a little offense on, on the board if you do that uh, upside. But, but no, I, I still think he has the chops to be a good second-line center, you know, maybe a good third-line center. But uh, he's got a ton of pro quality still. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I just – I was thinking, like, when I saw that low, I'm like, if this guy slides to the second round, somebody's getting a good pick. It has to be with this Ugh. guy. Like, there's too much talent. Yeah. But uh, okay, final question here for you, Cam. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun couple of years for you to follow uh, Bedard and Mitchkov and what they're able to do. Um, so unfortunate that uh, that Mitchkov signed in the KHL till the, what the twenty twenty six season uh, yeah. until he's able to come over. But for that draft class, like how hyped are you just seeing that these two guys are gonna be battling up against each other for the next few years at the before the draft? Man, I I have my hands full every year with just the draft class that we're working on. Like it it swallows me up. But I've I've had my eye on Bedard and Mishkov going back to last year. So four years ahead of their draft year, I'm looking at these kids being like, oh snap! And I can't help but check in on their games. Right when the Pats were playing this year, I'm like, you know, there are a lot of guys watching this game, but I'm going to go watch it for Connor Bedard. And uh, and I think that's that's saying a lot. Same with Mishkov checking them out. There was Scott in, in the MHL just. They're so ridiculous. It quite literally is going to be another Crosby Ovechkin stepping into the league, and it's a shame they're not stepping into the league at the same time. Right. We do have we do have to wait, but you know, Bedard is going to be a superstar, like a like a legitimate top five superstar. You know, we'll wait and see if he's going to be a generational, but he is on that track at this moment. Um, and then Mishkov, I honestly believe, is going to be a generational goal scorer, and so that always that doesn't always mean he's going to be you know a 120 point guy like Ovechkin was in front but I, I think this kid's going to score 50 you know maybe he's going to score 60 one of these days like he is that good this young he's better than Kucherov was at the same age um he's more dynamic he it's going to be a ton of fun Mishkov is going to go number two even though a team has to wait three years on him and that just hardly ever happens right like right. we never see that you'd be like okay this guy's really really good so he'll end up going 10 not let that team wait for him. There's no way. The number one will be Bedard because he's the Canadian center. He's going to step in immediately, and then it's Mishkov. And there's a lot of good kids coming up behind those two in 23 as well. Like 23 is looking like jacked in the top 10. Um, 22 is going to be a lot of fun too with Shane Wright and Brad Lambert. And there's a lot of good kids coming up there to Rutger McGorchie. Like there's there's some players that are going to cause a stir. And so that's what I mean with Vancouver. This you know this would be the year that they would get top spot and then next year they'll win enough to get 12th or something like that right yeah that no, sounds Just, right i mean the, the writing's yeah. on the wall yeah that's right yeah yeah well cam appreciate you coming on man it's always good to, to to chat prospects with you talk hockey with you anyways and i mean uh you know a lot of people i'm sure appreciate this conversation so anything you kind of mentioned you got some stuff coming up before the world championships come up but anything big that you're else that you're working on or you mentioned the brant clark piece maybe you want to plug that a little bit as well 
Sure, yeah, yeah. Drop the Brant Clark one. Um, did a Matty Beneers one earlier there. The Clark one's pinned to my Twitter, hockey underscore Robinson. Uh, this Own Power one's going to be a beast, too. You know, that's when I dive into the film room. I, I spend weeks on these. I watch, you know, for Clark, I literally watched every shift he played up until that point and and it took forever and and i talked to him and i I get a handle on these guys so i really try to go above and beyond for these big deep dives and uh make the subscription money worth its while at ep ringside that uh, you guys should all go out and get and um maybe if you're nice i can hit you up with promo code too uh but yeah so that one will be dropping soon and you know i'm throwing out fantasy columns weekly and doing little fantasy features and stuff like that now with that winding up we'll just keep leaning into the scouting game ahead of the draft here yeah, absolutely. And, you know, EP Ringside is the place to be for people that need, you know, anything with scouting. Like, the team that you mentioned, you kind of talked about them a little bit earlier, but what you guys are putting together, like, this has got to be, like, your time, right? Like, this is your playoffs coming up here, even though the Canucks might not be in there. Like, this has got to be the time for you guys when you're just pumping out the best content, I feel like, right? Oh man, we we love it. The only, uh, the only thing is that it's such a bummer to be two drafts in a row that we don't get to go to, because... Right. You know, it's a culmination of all this work that we've done all season and then to go and then you also get the whole social atmosphere of it. You get to hang out with all these people that you talk to all the time but don't get to see um, and, you know, whoop it up for a couple nights and, and write a bunch of columns. So hopefully for, for 22, we'll be back at it and, and having a good time in June together and we'll see where it's at. But uh, but no, this is definitely our time to shine. Yeah, I was all, pre- all prepared to make the trip to Montreal last year. I feel like that would have been a good city to get after it in. Man, I'm hoping they put it there again because I also was looking forward to Montreal on late June, right? Like that'll be get some get some good sandwiches, get oh. some good times. Yeah, most definitely yeah. some three AM poutine sounds like a good deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Cam. Appreciate you taking out some time, man. Yeah, no problem. Good chatting. And a big thank you to Cam Robinson for joining us once again on the show. You can see why we love talking prospects with him. It is an absolute treat every time with Cam. And speaking of treats, I have a treat for you folks for her very first podcast ever. This is her first time guesting on a podcast, and she absolutely knocked it out of the park. Can't believe that this girl is only 17 years old and already has this much knowledge about Swedish prospects, and I'm I'm super excited to see what she does with her career covering the sport of hockey. Alexa Potak is here. She's from Dauber Prospects as well as Rangers Nation. So we're going to dive into the SHL, talk about some of the top prospects for the 2021 draft, and even uh, a little sprinkle in a little Huglander talk as well, because why the hell not? So without further ado... I know I used that intro for the last one, but that's fine. We're back at it. It's time for Alexa Potak. All right, guys, and joining us now from Rangers Nation and Dauber Prospects, Alexa Potak is here. You can find her on Twitter at Alexa underscore Potak. Alexa, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I am learning a lot over the past couple days of doing these draft interviews as I've not been able to watch as much as possible. So I'm excited to talk to someone else who was waking up early to watch some SHL games, I'm sure, uh, as I spent a lot of time watching Niels Huglander this year. Um, (laughs) How early is it for you? Because it's not that bad for SHL games for me. It's about 10 a.m., but the KHL games are the ones that kill me. But for you on the East Coast, it's got to be, what, like noon for a lot of the games? Yeah, so for the most part, the weekday games are at uh, 12 or 1 p.m., depending on uh, daylight savings, and the weekend games are either at 9 a.m. or noon. Awesome. So nothing too bad. It's not not horrible. I mean, maybe you get some horrible, Sunday no. games that are like you know pretty early, so hopefully you can avoid a lot of those. But uh, just for yeah. talking to you off air, you're 17 years old right now, you were saying, and you know, you're diving yeah. into covering prospects. I just Maybe you can tell the story of how you kind of got into making prospects something that you wanted to cover because I I find it so impressive that you figured all this out before even graduating high school. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been interested in the SHL, at least to some capacity, for about four or five years at this point. I've uh, always really liked learning about the world and obviously love hockey. So it felt like a great way for me to combine both of those passions of mine. And I think getting into scouting was just a natural path for me. I mean, I was watching the SHL a lot. I was learning a lot about the league. So it felt like a lot of fun to get into the drafting side of things, too. That's awesome. And SHL, why why Swedish hockey? That's kind of been your forte, it feels like. Uh, yeah, um, Henrik Lundqvist was one of, one of my favorite players growing up, and I uh, got a for London jersey of his when I was in uh, seventh grade. I think I was about twelve at the time, and people would come up to me at the garden and you know ask me what the jersey was and uh, how I had the jersey. And I think that that kind of sparked my interest to really start watching Swedish hockey. And as it went on, I really came to love the league. I've, I've come to love it as well. It's one of my favorite leagues that's not the NHL to cover, just from the way that they play. Maybe, maybe I can get your point of view on it. Like, What are the biggest differences, do you think, between the SHL and the NHL that some people who don't regularly watch it wouldn't know about the SHL? I mean, I think you can kind of see it in the way a lot of Swedish players play the game, but it's definitely not as physical as the NHL. You you have physicality, but it's certainly not to the same extent as really any of the American leagues, even some of the junior leagues. And then I think the other thing is just in terms of the skating, the bigger rink really builds these players into great skaters. So it's a very beautiful game to watch. I think it's a lot less chippy. So... Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. I think uh, it's definitely something I enjoy watching, and at times I think I kind of prefer it to the NHL for some of those reasons. <laughs> I've said that exact same sentence before. I think the only thing that, that throws me off is like some SHL preseason games where there's just like, if you touch a guy, you get a penalty. I've just noticed that like the preseason is absolutely insane for that. The preseason's tough. I think they're trying to keep injuries from happening. Mm-hmm. They st- also start their preseason pretty early, typically um, about a month before their first regular season game, where I feel like the NHL typically sticks to more of like a three-week timeline. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe they're trying to prevent you know a lot of injuries from piling up since they play a lot of games. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, sometimes those calls, I sit back at my computer and I'm wondering really what's going on in the minds of the refs, but... <laughs> For the most part, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, most definitely. I think, uh, you know, for myself, spending a lot of time watching Niels Huglander and Regla this year, um, yeah. there are certain times where, you know, he's a chippy little guy, and I'm not sure how much you were able to watch of Niels Huglander, but did you get able to get a few viewings of him in the SHL before he came over this year? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, everything I saw was really impressive. He looked very ready to take that next step to the NHL level. And I think the team he played on, you know, Rugby, they just uh, they lost in the finals uh, sometime mid last week, I believe, or early last week. So they uh, were a great team and he was getting top six minutes. So he, they really uh, gave him an opportunity to shine. And yeah. he did. Yeah, I asked him about that in a post game after he played the Canucks game. I asked him if he saw the final, and he said he did. So he wasn't uh, wasn't in a great mood that his team lost. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they had an incredible team there to see what Sider was able to do when he was added to that group as well, and just see him progress. Um, but for for Niels, was there certain things that that worried you that he wouldn't be ready for the NHL? Because before he came over here and was a star at training camp and fit right into the top six for the Vancouver Canucks, you know, we heard from his coach, we heard from his GM, and a lot of them were saying that he probably wasn't ready defensively. But were there certain things about his game defensively that you might have seen that said, like, wow, no, he is ready for the NHL with this type of, whether it be effort or just positioning or anything. Was there anything that stuck out for you? 
I mean, I think overall his effort level was really incredible to watch. There, It felt like every shift he had the puck on his stick or he was defending someone with the puck for most of the time he was on the ice. He really found a way to be everywhere without completely destroying his positioning. So I think that that was something that stood out to me. And in my viewings of him... I really felt like he did look NHL ready and I, I thought he would, you know, I didn't think he would have the season he ended up having, but I think that I knew he would be, you know, ready for uh next step to the NHL. I, I think I have to ask this question because Canucks fans have been waiting for it all year. Are you kind of okay. surprised that he hasn't pulled off the lacrosse goal at the NHL yet? Like he's attempted it once and kind of like once and a half times, but are you surprised that he hasn't tried to pull it off and, and really commit to it this year in the NHL? You know, part of me is surprised, but part of me also feels like with his rookie standing, there's a bit of a reluctancy to get super flashy. You don't want to be that rookie trying to do all that stuff. I think that's kind of maybe the mindset that he has. But I think he's someone that, you know, if you had to put your money on anyone to see them get a lacrosse goal throughout the course of their NHL career, he'd be someone I'd bet on. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good bet. Uh, Our friends at Odd Shark who sponsor the show are probably with that as well. Um, (laughs) I got to, did you, were you covering it all when Elias Pettersson was in the SHL? Like, were you still viewing it then just kind of as a fan or really covering it yet? Like, did you, do you remember much about Elias Pettersson's season? You know, I honestly don't. It was a lot more casual for me back then. And I definitely that's something I do want to take a look back at, you know, when I get the free time over the summer, probably I'll start to uh, take a look at that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's it's obviously something that, you know, everybody that talked to SHL, I love to just hear what they saw from his season because it was so incredible. But I, I'm sure that you got to see a lot of his brother this year, um, Emil in the SHL. I yeah. Mean, most games that I saw was just against Regla when I was watching Huglander play, but <clears throat> there was a couple of his best games came against Regla, so I was very impressed by Emil Pettersson. Is, is that something that I should be excited for, for him to come over to the NHL, do you think? Or was that just some good games against Regla that I happened to see? I mean, I think he's a player that, you know, I would expect for NHL teams to inquire upon. I think, you know, especially with him winning and being a major contributor to that team, I think the NHL is definitely looking at him. I think the only detriment is his age. It's harder to bring, I think he's 27. It's harder to bring a 27-year-old over than, you know, someone who's 23 or 24, just in terms of, you know, the developmental curve. But I think since he has already played North American hockey, I think it's something that um, fans definitely could expect to see. So that'll be exciting for Canucks fans. Now we can sign a meal, yeah. draft Luke, and that'll kind of just fully set up the brothers set up here in Vancouver. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. I, I want to get into some of these Swedish prospects that are coming up in the draft. We're seeing the Vancouver Canucks do a pretty good job of tanking the end of their season right now. <laughs> I mean, if they continue to lose out, and I think they can win one more game, that'll still put them at fourth in the draft lottery odds as they go into it. A lot of high-end Swedish players at the top of this one, and I kind of want to start with the one that that really feels like the most gifable player. Like, this is the one that you see pop up a lot of the times from SHL. You know, people that cover the league, they tend to tweet out a lot of gifts of William Eklund. Uh, I just want to know, like, what type of player is he, and is he one of the best scoring wingers in this draft? I think he's a really great... Yeah, I think he's a great winger. He plays a very complete game. I think that, you know, there aren't any, like, glaring holes within his game. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that certainly helped him is he was on a line with uh, Alexander Holtz, and they had a great... They had great chemistry throughout the year, so uh, that's something to watch. I think I've seen a lot of Devils fans being like, we should try to pick them up, uh, reunite them. So we'll see how that all goes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really like him. I think that there are times, though, I think the competition between him and Fabian Liesel is very interesting because they do play somewhat different games. I think Eklund is definitely a very uh, difficult player, but... 
I think Liesel to some extent um, is possibly more so that just with how dynamic he is. But overall, Eklund, he, I rank Eklund higher just out of, um, I think that he's a very safe pick. You're going to get a very good player out of him no matter what he actually turns into. And I've seen that some people have him as a center, but he's more of a winger, right? He's played more on the wing, yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's good to hear. I mean, like it feels like he's kind of the one that's sticking out. Him and Gunther seem to be the top wingers in here. Do you do you have Eklund, like, where would you have him, I guess, going into this draft as a ranking? Are you in the top three? Are you top five, top ten? Like, where is he kind of sitting for you? I think he's definitely a top three, top five sort of player. Oh, wow. But okay. I think just as I look at this draft and try to formulate a list, I think, you know, this wasn't last year's draft where you had such a clear consensus on your one and your two and, you know, mm-hmm. even three. So I think that the way this draft shakes out is just purely going to go off of the way the lottery shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Like, I'm sure teams have very different ratings. But the thing about Vancouver is, like, Swedish players just seem to get drafted here. Like, that's just the yeah. way that it goes with Vancouver. So that's kind of why I want to lean into these guys. I'm wondering, with Eklund, are there parts of his game that need to improve for you to see him at the NHL? Because I'm sure he's going to go back to the SHL for, you know, probably at least one more year, see what he can do in, the, in a better role, kind of like a lot of these guys do that are high draft picks. Is that kind of the situation, the way you see it playing out? Or is he a kind of guy that might just jump right into the NHL? I mean, I think personally, my standpoint on that is I'm always, you know, I think I'm a little safer on that stuff where I say give him another year in the FHL to let him really refine his game. I think that with Swedish players in general and then with Eklund, um, I think it's in his best interest to get back to the SHL. It's, you know, it's a men's league. He's going to be playing against people who are built the same way that NHL players are. It's a very talented league. So I think that he should go back to the SHL for another year. But I think that if a club really, you know, whoever he is drafted by really wanted to bring him over and at least start him in the AHL, like I could see that happening. I don't think that might, I don't think that's the best call for him. Right. And we're going to talk about Fabian Lucelle as well, but I just, I got to bring yeah. up like what Eklund's done with the stats. I mean, in this year, his draft year, 11 goals and 12 assists in the SHL. I mean, that's damn impressive. I mean, like we talked about Niels Huglander earlier, that's similar numbers to what he kind of put up in his draft plus one and draft plus two seasons. So how impressive really can this kid be? Because this type of number is at 17, 18 years old in the SHL. That's that's really impressive for a guy like that. I mean, to, to see where yeah. he kind of ranks against other players that have done that, he's got a pretty high ceiling and, and really a low, a high floor as well from what he's putting up right now in the SHL. Is that just because of where he's playing and the team that he's with, or is this actually him going out there and putting up the points himself? I mean, a lot of it is him putting up the points himself. You know, if you look at the number of points he has, it's a pretty even split between goals and assists, which I think, you know, goes to show you that he, it really does reflect upon him. He's not a player that picks up, you know, 20 assists a season and four goals. He's the type of player that I guess seems to have more of an even split. And I think also one thing that I don't know if a lot of uh, North American hockey fans realize about this kid is what he's had to go through this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he had COVID in, in the early winter and that's why he missed world juniors and then uh he had to get his append- he had appendicitis and was out once again and he battled injuries all through the month of january just nagging things and so he missed a lot of play and really had an up and down season off of the ice so i think it goes to show you even more like how incredible he was on the ice while also having all of that going on wow and i mean yeah that's damn impressive to have that many yeah season. I know adds, that the it adds uh, even more to how impressive it was <laughs> most definitely so you got to be high on him i'm wondering is he like the biggest maybe you take like a home run swing on a player like is he the guy that that can be a first line player more than anyone else in this draft I think he definitely has the potential to be a solid first-line player in the NHL. I think that, um, 
there's, you know, I think that the way this draft is going to go, you're going to see some random surprises mm-hmm. coming out of the 15 to 30 range. And I think that, you know, you'll probably get a few other solid players out of it. But I think, you know, if you're drafting in the top five and just with the way this draft is shaking out with the number of defensemen that have really uh, rose to the top, I think that if you're looking for a forward who's going to play on your, uh, in, at least in your top six and possibly on your top line, I think that he's definitely the guy to go for. How far do you think he could drop, right? Like, we talk about the defenseman. We talk about, you know, Matt Beneers being a very high pick as well. Uh, Gunther's obviously in the conversation as well. But, like, how far could Eklund potentially drop, do you think, in, in what is going to be such a weird draft? I think the latest I could see him drop is, like, seven or eight. I really don't see him falling. I um, I think when we start to talk more a little bit about Lee Sell, I think he's a player I could see fall farther than that. Okay. But... I think Eklund has really solidified his top five, top eight spot in the draft. Okay, well, good to know. I was wondering. I was like, can he drop to the Canucks at seven? Because that would that would be a lot of fun. I think um, I but, think it could happen. It okay. could. I don't know what the likelihood of it is, but it could happen. Okay, because we're already convinced here in Vancouver that we are going to drop in the draft lottery. So I'm looking at guys that are around <laughs> six, seven, eight. Um, but, well, lucky for you, there's a lot of Swedes in that area. So, and we're about to, <laughs> have no to problem about picking up one of them. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it with Fabian Lucell, who I know that you're pretty high on. I think compared to most scouts, so maybe you can just break down. Um, what type of player he projects as as an NHL player? Because we, you know, I saw him at the U18s with a couple of great drives to the net. He was on the show just right before he went on to the U18s as well. He was from Texas when we talked to him, but <laughs> very confident kid. Uh, I learned that from the conversation with him. He's very confident in himself. Um, what kind of player do you kind of see him projecting as? You know, I mean, he's a high-risk, high-reward prospect, especially compared to Eklund. I think that uh, you, you see and you saw, certainly in Texas, how dynamic his game can be, and I think that that's something that, you know, has worked to an extent in the SHL. His The number of points he put up was certainly nothing like Eklund's, but, you know, he had a very solid season in his own right, even though uh, his point totals were not near that. So I think that he, you know, at best, I think he could be a top six player, but it's just a matter of how his speed and his stick handling and his vision translates to an NHL defense Mm. that's a lot more physical than an SHL defenseman is typically too. Right, and I mean, that's going to be a tough thing. I think that's the the knock that's been like the thing that's said about Swedish players for the last, like, it feels like 20 years, right? But we've seen a lot of these guys come in and be a lot tougher than people kind of expect. I feel like that's the type of player that you might be getting with him. Like, is he tougher than he kind of plays a little bit, do you think? I think he definitely can have, like, a gritty side to him where he would be able to handle the physicality and lack of space in the NHL as compared to an SHL rink. But I think it's one of those things where you don't really know until you see it. So that's why I think, you know, you see Eklund coming up a lot higher on draft boards, and sometimes you see Lisel falling pretty far back. I've seen a lot of people put him in the, like, 12 or 13 range when I think, you know, I think he should be a top 10 player. We, uh, we talked to Craig Button earlier on this episode. He had him at 29. Uh, what do you think about that? I personally did not agree with that. I was a bit shocked to see that, being perfectly honest. I mm-hmm. I, I really think the fa- farthest I've seen him fall on a draft board is maybe 15. Right. So that was very interesting. So I will definitely be tuning in to, uh, if you spoke about that to hear what he has to say. <laughs> we definitely did. And um, I think that the question for him was, can he drive a line? Like, is he a passenger a line or can he drive a line? And I guess you didn't really get a chance to see that at the SHL. But like you said, the U18s, like it felt like he was driving that line. Yeah, he, you know, found a way to be a pretty dominant player on a Swedish team that was very underwhelming. Mm. 
yeah, I, is there one part of his game that's kind of like gives you thought that he is a top six player more than anything else? Like, what's the one thing that he does so well? I think it's his his vision. He really reads the ice well, and I think that's something that gives me hope that he can drive a line in the NHL. I think that, you know, when the puck's on his stick, he finds ways to make very good passes or find space between defensemen to carry the puck. And I think that's something that's really strong about his game. Mm-hmm. So I think that would probably be it. Yeah, it seems like just, just from watching the – like I haven't seen a ton of him play. I think I probably watched him once or twice against uh, Huglander this year, but nothing mm-hmm. really. But I, I want to ask about the guy that like – so I've seen Eklund, I've seen Liesel. I I just haven't seen Simon Edvinson, the defenseman, and I'm so curious. Like the read that I get just from talking to people and, and reading about him is like a Philip Broberg type. Like am I close there with Simon Edvinson who some people have as high as, you know, three on their list, but I've seen him – drop into the 15s like he's he's another guy in this draft with a huge question mark I think beside him is that is that fair to say or are you pretty high on the defenseman the, the big defenseman in Simon Edmondson I mean I I personally like him a lot I've watched a lot of him I think he's a player that I really enjoy watching because when when you see him on the ice especially once he got loaned to hockey all Svenskin mm. he was playing he was playing very maturely which I think that's kind of a weird way to say it but what I really mean is just that when you look on the ice like he doesn't look like he's 18 okay. like he doesn't play like an 18 year old he doesn't typically make those 18 year old mistakes he's a strong skater and you know he's able to use his size effectively so I think that when I watch him play, like you see the mold of an NHL defenseman in him, mm-hmm. even though he is yet to be drafted. Okay, so that's the opposite of Philip Broberg. Like I don't think Philip. Yeah, Broberg no, plays it's, it's like different him. than him. But I think that um, I think that uh, you know I think Evanson. I he's I think again is a safer pick. I think you know he has things he needs to work on in his game, but you know you can see what's coming. Okay, well that's good. I'm, I'm curious, like more defensive type or is like does he have offensive skills because like I said I just I've not seen him play a lot of hockey yeah so I think more in the past he's shown that he can play a more offensive style but I think that um in a lot of my viewings of him this season he did kind of he wasn't quite a stay-at-home defenseman but he wasn't joining the rush as much as I think he maybe did in the past okay and I'm wondering, is that something that you maybe think was coached into him? Because I hear that a lot for these young guys in the SHL, how much more they need to improve on defense. But, you know, Huglander's a good example, right? Like, we heard a lot from his coach that defensive game wasn't ready for the NHL. He still had to work on his defensive game. And then he gets here, and it's like, well, he's like a little aggressive honey badger. Like, he's all over yeah. him in the defensive zone. So I'm wondering, is that something that you think was coached into him a lot and maybe changed his game a little bit to be more defensive? I think that that definitely could have been something that was coached into his game. I, he played for a few different, you know, coaches this season. He played up with Rolanda in the men's club. He played for their uh, U20 team, and he played in Hockey Allsvenskan. So he definitely had a lot of coaches talking to him this year with probably different perspectives on how to play the game. Mm. So I think that as a result of that, you see things like this development where he, you know, maybe is more of a traditional defenseman rather than one that's really offensive and on the rush but I think he still has the potential to be a good defenseman on the power play like I think it's still within him and you see that from him at times but it seems like it was coached into him a little bit to stay at home a little more to see that we have potentially four guys and add the goaltender in there as well in Wallstead like to see these four guys potentially be you know top 10 top 15 picks uh, how excited are you to watch that World Junior team in the next year or next kind of two years with that group right there? It feels like a real nice core for a World Junior team. 
Yeah, I mean, I am very excited. It's been a really great year to watch so many talented Swedish players, you know, get opportunities, especially in the men's leagues. I think mm-hmm. watching the U20 league is a lot of fun, but getting to see them play against, you know, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds is really interesting because it gives you more of a sense of what they could do in the future rather than what they could do against, you know, people who might not make it to play men's hockey in the future. Can you give me a name that maybe isn't in the top 15, top 10 that you really like out of Sweden? If Whether it was a guy playing yeah. in the junior leagues or SHL, sure. do you have a couple names? Um, I mean, Isak Rosian is a guy that I really, really like. I think, you know, he's small, so I think that's something that a lot of people have to say about him. But he doesn't seem to really be phased by that. Mm. I think that's, you know... You know, it might be better suited for the SHL where there isn't quite as much physicality, but he's a really strong playmaker and he's a very fast skater. And he's someone that I've really enjoyed watching. And I think, you know, like Lysel, he was someone who really excelled on that U18s team, even though that team as a whole was not doing very well. Right. And I mean, for, I guess for defensemen, I'm, I'm thinking like, is there any defenseman that kind of stuck out later in the draft? Um Canucks have seen, like, Victor Pearson was a guy they selected in the seventh round last year, and just from mm-hmm. watching him play in the J20 before it got shut down and, you know, was supposed to come over here and play in the WHL, like, I, I just love the way that that he played the game of hockey, to be 100% honest. Like, I love the way that Victor Pearson looked. Is there a type of defenseman that just looks smooth to you that you maybe have seen this year? Um, if I'm being honest, I think the Swedish class this year, the people that I've really been high upon are forwards. Okay. There's, you know, one D-man that personally I think is not my favorite but has come up on a number of draft boards fairly early is Anton Olsen. Mm-hmm. I think he has a lot to work on in his game, but he got major minutes in the SHL this year. Okay. So I was a bit disappointed to see that he wasn't, I think, using them quite as well as he needed to. It seemed, you know, it was his technique that really stuck out to me and I think seemed like it wasn't very much working in the SHL, so I don't know how that translates exactly. Mm-hmm. But... um He's a guy that I've seen pop up. Some people, you know, put him at like 40 on their boards. I've seen some people even argue for him at the end of the first round. But I think I think uh, second, late second or third round, you'll see him get drafted. And I think he is a team that clearly wants to get him minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if a team finds stuff in his game that they really do like, I think they might take a bet on them, on him. I find it kind of tough to, to see these draft-eligible guys especially defensemen, like, get minutes in the SHL. So I feel like that's a huge step. Uh, But one of the Swedish defensemen that I've been super high on, uh, I really wanted the Canucks to draft him. They ended up going with with a different pick at the time. I believe it was Pod Colson draft in 2019. Uh, Are you high on on Victor Soderstrom as high as I am? Because I was super high on him in his draft year. Um, at the time, I like. I, I mean, I liked him. I think also with where I was at too. I think for me, at least, a lot of my draft work really did start in the past year, year and a half. I, you know, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. I didn't. I think looking back at some of my <laughs> so early crazy. scouting reports, I kind of laugh at them. Yeah. So, you know, part of me wants to go back and look at that stuff. But I, you know, I think he he played well um, at World Juniors, and I think that you know, there's good things to come from him for sure. Absolutely. Well, I want to kind of just get uh, maybe another name. Doesn't even have to be a Swedish player. Is there someone that you're higher on than a lot of people are in their rankings this year for the draft? Um, I mean, I think for the non-Swedes, I've really you know focused my efforts on watching the Swedish class because I think there's a number of names that we haven't even brought up yet that really have made an argument to be first-round draft picks. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, kept myself pretty busy with those. <laughs> but I think outside of the Swedes, I think, you know, it's just kind of all personal opinion on, you know, who you like more in terms of some of the other D-men in the draft and, you know, where people are on, you know, I think really anyone. I think 
I've kind of seen people all over the place on a lot of the players. So it's hard to really tell like who I'm higher on or lower on than the consensus. Uh I want to, I don't think we touched on it at the start. Maybe we touched on it before we started recording, but how did you get started with Dauber? Because I mean, Dauber is a great site to be at. We obviously know Cam Robinson, who was on the show before here, did a lot of great work for Dauber. How, How did you get into Dauber and how long have you been there now? Um, I've been there since about mid-October, and, uh, you know, it was a good friend of mine. I'll give him a little shout-out. So, Kyle, if you're listening, <laughs> shout-out to you. He sent it to me, found the opening on their website, and he knew I, you know, was a big SHL fan, really interested in the league, and uh, that they were looking for someone to get into some European hockey scouting for them. So, you know, took advantage of the opportunity and uh, found myself in the position. That's awesome. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm so impressed with what you're doing at your age. That's incredible. And you, you speak so well about these prospects as well. I wanted to, I guess, just kind of put you on the clock here. Uh, and I wanted mm-hmm. to get your one, two, and three for this draft. And I'm hoping you push Eklund in there. So I'm going to let you know. Who... I did. I did. Okay, I put good. him in there. <laughs> so how do you go from one to three here in the draft if you're up on the clock? Um, if I'm on the clock, you know, I really, I think, you know, this is a bit typical. But I, I'd say I'd go uh, Beneers, Power, Eklund. Okay. That's my take on things from what I've seen. From from Beneers' point of view, a lot of people have said that he's got the defensive game locked down, and I'm sure you've read reports, probably seen him play as well. Mm-hmm. What is there to be excited about him potentially being a number one pick? Because like we said, it, it's a weird draft. There's still going to be a number one pick in this draft. And does Matt yeah. Beneers kind of fit the role of being a number one? I mean, I think he definitely does. You, you know, you watch his game and you see how complete of a game he has you know I think watching him play it's it's, he's a player that's easy to watch you know I think there's a lot of players especially when you're scouting that you know you're you're finding so much wrong in their game and I think that's not always a super fun thing to do is to feel like you're watching someone who maybe you don't like but he's a player that I think a lot of people you know just can't find a major weakness in and I think in a draft where there's really no serious consensus on who's going to go one two three I think that's someone you go with and you can work to just refine their game rather than having to fix a major flaw. Right. Well, I mean, like, yeah, that's that's kind of the feel that I get. But, like, the way that I see a lot of people talk about him is third-line center with top six upside. And I think that's what worries a lot of people. But I think yeah. it's just because from what I've read and what I've seen, like, it's just – his game is just already so complete defensively, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take – I think the team that drafts him has to have, you know, a coaching and player development system where they can take a player that seems to have it all together mm. and find a way to make it better. You know, I think sometimes that's a little hard to do when you can't start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I think whoever does end up drafting him, whether that's at one, two, three, or sometime after then, I think that, you know, it's going to be a team with a very strong player development department. Can you give me a name that people are high on that you're not very high on? Maybe to kind of close out here. Is there a name that you see that's in the top 10 and you're like, eh, I don't know if that belongs there? Um, I mean, honestly, I think that there's not anyone that I really, from the top 10 at least, that I mm-hmm. think that I'm very low on I think that it's more even names that aren't in there like I said with Lee Sell I think you know if that bumps someone out that bumps someone out but I think it's more the names that haven't appeared in the top 10 that I think should rather than ones that I think really don't deserve it and the final thing I'll ask you here um Edmonton and Lucell kind of in in similar spots of like where they're going to be drafted which one do you think goes first because a lot of people are high on the defenseman but a lot of people that have seen good games from Lucell are are very high on him who do you think goes first in this draft out of those two 
I think you see Lisella go first solely because of the position he plays. Mm. There's a lot of really talented defensemen in this draft class. And I think, look, there's going to be a team that's very high on Edmondson and maybe they'll take him first. Mm -hmm. But I think if there's a team looking for a forward, he's someone they should be looking for. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to to end this here, Alexa. I appreciate your time. Uh, not sure how many podcasts you've done, but you sound like an absolute pro, and I appreciate. This is my first one, part. actually. I so. was wondering if it was. I was like, I I, do, I was going to ask him. Like, she's too good to to assume that this is her first one. You did an incredible. No, this job, is my so. first uh, real podcast, other than you know school projects and things like that. Wow, that, that's incredible. I appreciate you uh, doing that here on the Canucks conversation, and uh, I think we're going to have to do this again down the road. Thanks for taking some time today. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. And a huge thank you to all four of our guests this week. Really appreciate them filling in for quads as he was missing in action due to his surgery that he's got done. Nothing crazy. Just some wisdom teeth getting taken out. So we didn't have any quads this week. Uh, just me. But uh, it was great to be joined by four guests here to make this podcast flow a lot better. I hope that you guys learned a lot about the 2021 draft. I know I sure did having these conversations. And, you know, that's kind of what we have to look forward to for Canucks fans right now. So uh, we'll see you guys on the midweek show. We're not 100% sure if quads is going to be back yet. We'll see how he recovers from that wisdom tooth surgery. But uh, I'll definitely be here next week to talk some Canucks with you. And it seems like there's a lot going on. Uh, with Jim Benning over the past couple days. So we'll dive into that on the midweek show. Thank you very much for joining us for another week of the Canucks Conversation, another Saturday show in the books. Big shout out to all the sponsors as well. And uh, if you have a couple minutes here, maybe head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rate and review. Uh, Five stars. We need a couple of those because... Uh, some three-star ones are coming in. I don't know. Maybe we've been asking for reviews too much. But we would appreciate a five-star review if you have a couple extra seconds to take out of your day. Uh, so that basically wraps it up here. For my Missing in Action co-host, David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you very much for listening to another episode of The Canucks Conversation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 